Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hello, everybody. And Jason. Hey, what's going on, guys? What's up, guys? How you doing? You fucking chocolate all over me. That's because you just <laughs> ate a peanut butter cup yeah, right before we started recording. Got it everywhere. You're still on with this. You slob. I'm good. <laughs> now drink your beer and eat your. <laughs> <laughs> it is a weird combo. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like it though. Eat your candy and drink your beer while we try to do the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if anyone has any expectations for me, they've not listened to the first 10 episodes or however many we've done now. <laughs> More than 10. It's like 20 something. <laughs> I don't know. I think we're in the 30. Oh, shit. Bump, bump in there now. Look at us. Are we? Yeah. Yeah, getting there. This is like 29, I want to say. <laughs> and I thought we were done 10. <laughs> I mean, technically, if you count the bonus episodes, too, we're already beyond 30. But Oh. Yeah. yeah. Why am oh. I here? Because <laughs> I'm the only one who knows how to work the computer. <laughs> so today, we are continuing our odyssey into westerns. Well, well. With uh, Jason's pick, he has brought to the table 2016's Brimstone. Jason's blind pick. Blind pick. I would like to emphasize that. I had not seen this movie before I said, hey, let's watch Brimstone. And that may be a hint as to the future of our discussions on this film. (laughs) Uh, First, we're going to do all the usual stuff. I got a podcast shout out. We're going to talk about what we've watched. But, Michael, I think we need to drop like a trigger warning about this film now that we've all seen it. If you're listening to this episode and you're thinking you might go try this film to watch it, there's probably some content you should be aware of before you check it out. Yeah, there's some uh, child harm mm-hmm. in here. Um, and honestly, like the child harm's in there, but what I would probably warn people about the most is if you've ever been in an abusive relationship, like physically abusive, this could be really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, that's For me, that was kind of up there. Like When the child harm happened, I was like, whoa. Okay. Um, but yeah, some of the other stuff, though, I think just overall tone, if you're dealing with that in your life, that yep. listen to us bitch about it, but don't watch it. <laughs> and like I always say, like we're very against any kind of censorship in any way, so this isn't like an indictment of the film as much as just to say, like, know yourself and know what you're comfortable with. Don't put yourself in a situation mm-hmm. where you watch something that's going to upset you just right. because three dudes in a basement told you it was okay because <laughs> we don't know shit <laughs> yeah so uh, know yourself know your limits know what you like to watch exactly and know your role and be aware of the trickier content of this film if you're gonna go in it, it made me think a lot about like the nightingale yeah mm-hmm. uh, in that same vein of like there's just some heavy hitting stuff in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right so we are part of the prescribed films podcast network and we're super excited about that. Uh, we're under no compulsion to shout out any other podcast, but I just want to. So I've been combing through the long list of shows on our network and checking them out. And this is kind of just following along the last one we covered. Uh, I checked out Attack of the Killer podcast, which is kind of our flagship show, I guess. It's the first one that started everything. Cool. So uh, kind of just their top-level description. It's a group of friends that love to talk about all things horror movie-related and everything they love in the genre. Um, there's several hosts and each episode is usually they'll have a specific topic. It might be a genre. It might be like a kind of horror film or a certain topic or a theme. And they'll have a, just a candid conversation, discuss that, break it down and usually take like two or three films and cover those like more like a broad top level thing to just like look at that topic or idea in that way. Nice. Uh, it's super fun. If you enjoyed the Cracktastic Plastic podcast that I talked about last time. 
the Jason guy that's in that one, he's also on this show. So that's a cool like carryover connection between the two. Um, the one I checked out was about full core. Cause I thought, Oh, that's cool. I like full core. I've got that Severin box that I'm still waiting to get into it. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty fun. It's an easy listen. If you enjoy what we're doing at all, they kind of do the same thing of like, they start off and they kind of talk about what they've been watching, that kind of stuff. Then they like go into like the deeper topic. So you're saying they went into the future, ripped us off, went back in time. Uh, well, two things about that. First of all, they are the first of this network, and they're like 250-some episodes in. So We're only 10. They uh, <laughs> right, right. Number one, they beat us. Number two, our format's kind of a common format for film podcasts, I think. No, I so. think time travel is at fault here. <laughs> and from what to you've told them. me, they also don't spiral into madness no, no. of um, perseverating over every little detail <laughs> of the film. No, no, yes. Uh, we're more of like a deep dive, so we drive ourselves crazy. Going yeah. as far as we can with one film at a time. Crazier. Uh, it was super fun. Uh, they have a lot of cool bumps on like little audio transitions. That's cool. Uh, they play like the trailers of the films they talked about, which I know is something that we we dabbled in, but we kind of like it to be cleaner and just. There's also a little bit of um, legality things mm-hmm. there. If we ever, it could be. If we ever hawked you some shit, <laughs> like buy our shit. Um, they're super fun, and it really like as they as they say it is a group of friends, and it has that like same like fun friend vibe where if you just want to like sit and feel like you're part of a conversation where it's just dudes that love horror films chatting about it. It's got that vibe. Cool. I'll check it out. So check them out. Super fun. Attack of the Killer podcast. Awesome. I love their name. That's a good name. Great Great name. name. Perfect name. I grew up on Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Love them. Love them. I love any podcast I think that kind of does that riff on a title. Mm -hmm. All right. So exposure. Yeah. Like us. (laughs) Uh, So what have you guys been watching? Uh, I can go. Yeah, once you go. go. I kind of liked mine. Good. Ooh. Um, it's it's not going to be relevant by the time this airs, but um, it's very relevant right now. I watched Del Toro's new one, Nightmare Alley. No, Ooh. I wasn't. Um, it's beautiful. Mm. I mean, that's to be expected yeah, though with any Del Toro film. I have not. I've never read the source material. Like I've not read the book, and I've not right. seen the forty-seven. I think it's forty-seven, nineteen forty-seven, Nightmare Alley. I have something either. thereabouts. Yeah. I've not seen that, so I don't really have anything to draw a comparison to to say, mm-hmm. like, as far as, you know, what's better, what's not. Um, I was initially kind of like, I really wanted to watch it because I love Del Toro. Even his worst movies are better than a lot of movies. Um, don't shake your head. <laughs> um, what movie are you even thinking of? Uh, you know, I, I really never cared for that Blade movie. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. Mm. I think that's the best of the Blades because it did its well, own thing. Well, obviously but... we're a fan of them in period, but I mean, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, I a lot of people rip on Crimson Peak and I really like Crimson Peak. I think it was just marketed bad was the problem because they marketed it like a horror film, but really it's more of like a gothic romance. Yeah, it really is. And that sort of like swerved a lot of people, I think. Um, one of the things that put me off about this that I was initially not super excited about is I'm not a huge Bradley Cooper fan. I, he's a good actor, but sometimes like he's too much. You yeah, know, like, I get that. It's it's like it's hard to watch a Leonardo DiCaprio movie because you're always watching Leonardo DiCaprio, no matter what character he's gone into. It's like usually pretty evident that it's still him. And Bradley Cooper's kind of the same way, you know. Like he disappeared into the role of A Star Is Born, but you still mm-hmm. knew it's Bradley Cooper. The only one that, honestly, I feel like I never remember it's Bradley Cooper is when he's Rocket. 
raccoon. Oh well. Oh yeah. yeah. I just you're, always, not, you're not seeing his mug. Yeah, I always <laughs> his, forget his handsomely chiseled face. Um, but the cast in this is phenomenal. Like everybody is in it. Um, Defoe is in it. Nice. Um, Ron Perlman has a, a role. Rooney Mara. Of course he does. <laughs> yeah, Rooney Mara's amazing in it. I mean, she's great in like everything she does. But I've heard in the wake of this too, they've kind of been swirling on the like Hellboy three. Maybe finally. Oh God, I hope so. I would. <laughs> I'd love it, but I don't know if it'll happen after Neil Marshall's. I never yeah. gotten to those either. Debacle. Oh, I love the comics, but mm. that's a whole other story. Um, this. I'm not going to say that this is great. Um, I did not like it as much of his as his others. Honestly, this might be my least favorite of his movies, <laughs> but I still liked it. You know, I still thought it was good. It's beautifully shot. Everyone who's in it acted the hell out of it. Uh, Kate Blanchett's in it. She's fucking great. So um, this is worse than Blade Two. Is that what you're saying? Different. <laughs> no, well, you I'd just say said it was like his weakest movie. I'd say I'm it's. Just, be- I'm putting I, this in context. It's better than Blade Two by all accounts. <laughs> okay, um, but Te- technically it is. But Blade Two has Donnie Yen in it, so. Hmm. Okay. Well. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it is very good. It's dark. Um, typical Del Toro when the violence hits, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is straight straight up noir. So if you like. Noir films that I do, um, I you should totally watch it. I mean, God, it's really hard to talk about because it's it's good, and Del Toro is just kind of like in a league of his own. Mm-hmm. And I think I, it's hard for me because I always want another Pan's Labyrinth, but right. I think that will always be such a special. No, will never be another Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, but th- like that's the bar that you kind of yeah. set to, and you're like, everybody has a masterpiece, right? Nothing's it's ever going to be as good as that again, right. but. But still, it's expertly crafted. I'm afraid it's not going to do well because it's not a typical Del Toro movie. Um, there's like no monsters in it, really. Mm-hmm. Well, there are the monsters are the people, but the, the monsters monster. were us all along. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> so it is currently streaming on HBO Max. Mm. It might be by the time this drops. It usually stays on for a while. Yeah. Um, so if you already have HBO Max, it's definitely worth checking out. Fantastic nice. performances, beautifully shot. It's not shot by Guillermo Navarro, though. The hmm. guy, I think that's his name. The guy who shot like everything else he's done. Right, he has that regular guy he goes to. Yeah, yeah. Who's you can see his footprint on mm-hmm. everything. Um, this did well, though. It still is is really really gorgeous. Cool, so. nice. Check it out. Yeah, Jason, what you got? Um, I watched that movie with Bob Odenkirk, Nobody. Oh yeah, that's also on HBO Max. It is. That's how I watched it. And I should clarify, we don't have a deal with HBO Max. We do not. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's called Jason Gives Me His Password. <laughs> oh, dude, they're gonna come down the, on us. That's the deal that I have. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know if you know about the movie Nobody, but it's like Bob Odenkirk plays this average kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, here's the little boy. I'll read this. A docile family man slowly reveals his true character after his house gets burgled by two petty thieves, which coincidentally leads him into a bloody war with Russian crime boss. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Uh, I think this was directed. The director's name is Ilya Nashuler. I'm probably massacring that, but he, I think he was one of the stunt men for, uh, John Wick, right? It got a lot of comparisons to John Wick. It is John Wick. It is John Wick. Okay. It's John Wick. With a pinch of Breaking Bad and History of Violence in it. Okay. Okay. Are you going to leave out Falling Down with Michael Douglas? Yes. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't think it has anything really to do with falling down, personally. But that's kind of like, like someone's mental breakdown. This is more like he's got a, he's in a midlife crisis uh-huh. and he gets feeling better through violence. Oh, okay. Like you do. As you do, yes. Um, which, I mean, God didn't really talk against violence. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he used to be like the John Wick type character. He used to be a cleaner, whatever they call him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And he's retired and his wife was one too, but she never does anything in the movie because it's all about just the guys. And then, yeah, the house gets burgled. He feels emasculated. So he has to go out and start kicking ass again. It, it's John Wick. Um <laughs> But I, is, that, some, is that an endorsement or uh, there's some good fights? Bob Odenkirk's always great. Um, it's just it's not strictly played straight. I mean, it's obvious that it's supposed to be like a little comedic and kind of far fetched in places. Mm-hmm. But like Christopher Lloyd plays his dad, <laughs> and there's Why? a scene near the end where Christopher Lloyd is with him and his two sons, Bob Odenkirk being one of them. And they're fighting off the Russian bad guys, and Christopher Lloyd is just slowly shuffling along with a shotgun and somehow avoiding all the bullets. Because he's Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. It's just... uh, eh. I didn't feel like I wasted my time, but I can't give it an endorsement. Okay. If you were a big Bob Odenkirk fan, I think you would dig it, because he's he's always great. I thought about watching it it for the... uh, The fights are cool. The stunt. Yeah, there's some good fights in there, but Hmm. I didn't have a whole lot of expectations out of it. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just sort of rote. I think it got dropped at a good time. It pretty much hit during the height of the pandemic and played a lot of uh, drive-ins, I think. Yeah. Which was probably the only way people were going to watch it because it was just (laughs) going to get lost in obscurity otherwise. Anyway, so... Not a ringing endorsement by any means, but you know you could do worse. Well, that's how it goes. How about how about you? You got a good one to save us from this? Uh, well, I guess Michael's was a good one. Yeah, Michael liked his. Yeah, I yeah. liked mine. Yeah, I mean it's not as good as <laughs> play too, but it was so there's good. there's one I want to shout out real quick. Just like I don't want to talk about it because I think I'm going to do something else about it later. But uh, Devil Story, I finally got around to watching this. Mm-hmm. You watched it too, Jason? Yes, you uh, showed it to me. Fucking insane, amazing film. What is Devil um, Story? Tell us a little bit about it, at least. <laughs> All right, so it's a, it's a French flick from the 80s. Um, very, quote-unquote, ambitious. They really thought they were going to give a run to American <laughs> horror and make something truly terrifying. And it's just the most batshit, like... I think when we watched it, Jason, you described it as the most incompetently made movie you'd ever seen. It's up it's there. Just... Some of our listeners may be familiar with Manos, The Hands of Fate, <laughs> which I always thought was the most incompetent film. But mm-hmm. no, no. <laughs> Man, it's, it's, it's Devil Story. It's, it's just so Manos crazy. Of... I would put it in the realm of stuff like Spookies, uh, The Winter Beast, which I super hyped up because I loved Spookies it. Spookies is better than this. Um, but yes, yeah, Spookies is still somehow more coherent than this film. And it's just, it's a crazy monster mash, but it's not really the monsters you would expect to have in a, in a movie. <laughs> You've got uh, you've got like a devil horse. You've got a psychic cat. You've got a crazy like subhuman mongoloid guy in a Nazi uniform, which the synopsis wrongly states is a zombie. But he has a lot of blood that constantly comes um, out of places. You've got a ghost ship that shows up. Ghost ship that traveled to Egypt. So there's also a mummy, mm-hmm. and that mummy raises a woman from the dead to be his bride. Yes, and it's just a whole bunch of chaos. It is so funny. Don't watch it alone. Don't watch it alone. Watch it with a buddy. Have some beers. Yes. Oh, it's so it's guaranteed to be a good night. I don't want to say more about it because I've 
I blog things almost ready to go, and I think I'm crazy enough that I want to write things about Uh-oh. this movie. So Uh-oh. it does help if you actually see images and stuff, <laughs> yeah. like some screen grabs. Um. So yeah, I, I want to be part of the mystery. Nice. You know? yeah, part of- <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah McLaughlin. He's over here building a mystery about. Well, once you're the master devil's story. of the mystery, you'll be able to order us around. You have right? no power over me. <laughs> Michael, we got to get you to this yeah, film. Yeah, you got to watch crazy. it. Um, so, what's your real movie then? My real movie. What I want to talk about. Um, I didn't. The Devil lo- Story is not a real movie. <laughs> I'm not. I wasn't a huge fan of this, but I think it's worth talking about just because of the situation of it is. Um, so, I checked out Drive My Car, directed by Ryusuke Hamaguchi. Mm-hmm. This is up for Best Picture on the Oscars right now. Yes. Uh, so I think it's the first time a Japanese film has been in the running and actually, which is insane. Um, you know, has this much momentum. Mm-hmm. Probably a lot thanks to Parasite. They've kind of broken down the boundaries on foreign films squeaking in there. Um, it's a drama. It's based on a short story by... Oh, God, it just left my mind. I should know his name. He's like one of the most famous Japanese authors. Oh, my God. You're so failing. This is staying oh, in, no. by the way. Don't edit this. Oh, out. God. Um, What's that word for a Japanese fanboy? Murakami. Murakami. You're a bad Murakami. No, that's the name of the guy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, really famous author. Um, so it's basically this drama, right? And it's about this dude. He's a famous stage actor, and he like puts on these plays, right? <laughs> and you guys are just still laughing, wow. <laughs> trying to talk about this film. I'm sorry, it's a serious Oscar film. We'll be quiet now. Please continue. Um, yeah, so he's a famous stage actor, and he puts on these plays, and he does this weird like multilingual thing where like. It's his claim to fame, right, where every actor in the play uses a different language. And they have, like, a big screen up in the back that, like, shows you the whole script as it's going in every language. Okay. Very impractical. I don't don't think that would ever be a thing. I don't really understand the point. I'm already pissed off. (laughs) And then uh, his wife, who was an actress and now writes scripts for television. She works at a studio doing, like, TV dramas and stuff. Um, And it's... Hmm. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't want to shit on the film. But you do. But I do want to shit on the film. I don't. I would love the idea that a Japanese film wins an Oscar. Because sure. that would be so cool. But it should still be a good movie. But know? I also feel like this film, like... Mm, I know I'm going to piss people off when I say this. If, probably not our listeners, because I doubt they care about a random Japanese drama. Because we you know, run more in the horror crowd. But it's like... It felt so like generic and low-tier. And I'm not like a super watcher of dramas, right? But even like if you're thinking Japan, there's like Yasujiro Ozu, all kinds of crazy stuff like Tokyo Story, like just amazing dramas that are like simple stories, but the characterization and the buildup of everything is so good. Well, we're all talking about the vanilla American, you know, Oscar <laughs> nominations. I mean, it's... Right, right, right. And so basically it's this thing where he discovers his wife's cheating on him and then she dies in a random accident and they're never kind of able to like talk and resolve that. And it time skips. And uh, the, the title comes in in that he has a car that he loves. It's a Saab like 900 Turbo, I think. Random European car. Looks super cool. Uh, and he loves to drive it. And he takes this like residency where he goes to a place and he's supposed to put on this play. And he's sort of like fallen from fame because like after his wife died, he couldn't act anymore. Mm-hmm. He has all this regret. And uh, he gets assigned this like plucky young girl to be his driver. And it's this very contrived, like, oh, we have to give you a driver. It's in our rules for the resident artist to have a driver. Because once once an artist was driving around and killed a person by accident, so now we have that in the budget every year. And it's just, 
it does the thing I hate in dramas where like things will happen because they have to happen to make the next thing happen no matter yeah, what. Right. So it's like everyone has a tragic backstory that's like their defining thing that then you learn about as it goes. That sounds and, like Oscar bullshit. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, he can't act anymore. And there's this other guy who's like, it's a young actor that like knew his wife. And it's like, well, did he sleep with my wife or not? And there's this tension. And then he gets cast as the main person, but everyone kind of wants the main guy to be the lead in the play, but he doesn't want to act. And then, you know, 11th hour, the dude gets arrested and it's like, Oh, you have to be the person or right. we can't have the play. Sure. Uh, it was just, huh. I hate I hate to bash on it, but it was like it was very ham fisted and very like almost childish level of drama. Ooh, what I um, I think you should tell everybody what you said the title of it should be. No, I don't want to get I don't want to get into that. <laughs> that would truly piss someone off. <laughs> um, it, it draw some conclusions that I was like I don't know if I really agree with where it goes, but it's so it's like a three hour movie too, and for that runtime. And you'll notice I might say this about Brimstone later too. Mm, no, that's fair. They didn't use that time to really like build the characters in a way that was interesting. Like by the end, it was still pretty surface level with everyone. Right. And I saw a lot of people praising it because they said like there was a subtlety to it that was appealing. And I guess if that's your thing, I can see that maybe. But to me, it was like I wanted more the whole time. Like tell me more about these people. I think there's a built-in thing that people automatically try to defend Oscar bait mm. as well. When it's just really not that good, you know, and there, there's been a ton of those mm -hmm. and people are like, well, I think you just missed the point. And I'm like, it just wasn't very good. But I will say it's beautifully shot. Uh, all the actors are great in it. Everyone, you know, amazing there. Um, there was a part in the middle where it kind of really started to appeal to me where they're actually doing like the production and they go through like casting every person, read throughs of the scripts, how they start to like stage it and do like the actions and moving together. Um, and they do a lot of talking about the play itself. It's a production of, I think, uh, Uncle Vanya by Chekhov. Mm. And he gets into this whole philosophy he has about it where it's like, if you give yourself over to the play, like the words will fill you up and kind of bring yourself out as you act it out. And I thought all that stuff was kind of interesting, but it's really just like an ancillary bit okay. to move you along in the later drama. So. Mm. I'm well, glad you watched it because I don't want to watch uh, it. It wasn't for it me. If it me. vaguely sounds anything at all like you'd be interested in, I would say go check it out and give it a shot. You may feel totally different to me. I think it's one of those ones that'll be super subjective. Well, you know that the Academy doesn't understand Japanese movies' true quality because One Cut of the Dead wasn't nominated for Best <laughs> Picture. So Amazing film. What do they know? Uh, I am happy that Parasite won, though, because I know that was also a contention. Yeah, Parasite's actually like, good, though. It was a great film, and it felt very like that was like very definitively a South Korean film mm -hmm. in every sense of the word. Uh, yeah, so drive my car, check it out, see what you think. I'm probably wrong. Okay, so... Brimstone. Um, yeah, do you guys want to talk about Brimstone? Not really. Do we have to? I've got other movies I can talk about. I mean, if you want to, if you really want to. <laughs> Wow, you guys had that violent of a reaction to this film, huh? Uh, no, no I, uh, there's things I can talk about about it. I mean, uh, <laughs> well, that's good because we're recording a podcast. I've really thought of a few things. Okay, okay. Let's well, start with let's, my first beef with the film. Should we give a synopsis or like anything? That about is, it that first? is my first beef. Oh, uh, okay, all right. <laughs> Continue. Uh, I'll read the synopsis for us. Okay. In the menacing inferno of the old North American West, Liz is a genuine survivor who is hunted by a vengeful preacher for a crime she didn't commit. I mean, I think on, on the surface, that's that's what it is. That's what it's about. That's the gist of the story. 
that that is barely the plot, and you only know that by like the end of the film. Sure, but do you want to know the whole plot before you watch the movie? But that's not even like your inroad on the film. Okay, okay, okay. Well, let's get into it. And, <laughs> and it is a lengthy film, as Dustin pointed out. It's like yep. two and a half hours. So we won't belabor some of the points that are perhaps... Um, well, that's the interesting thing, though, is for that time, there's not a lot of plot. <laughs> okay. All right, let's get into it. All right. All right. Uh, it's 2016, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when it came out, directed by Martin Kulhoven, mm-hmm. a Dutch director. Uh, apparently, he's, he's really popular over there. He had like a string of number one movies in a row. Mm-hmm. IMDb said that too, and I wondered if maybe he wrote his own entries or something. <laughs> He's the greatest Dutch filmmaker ever to live. <laughs> uh, but he got a lot of acclaim for Winter and Wartime, like a World War II drama that came out in 2008. So I think that gave him a lot of... Mm-hmm. Clout and stuff. Yeah. I hadn't seen any of his other films, so I, I have nothing to compare it to in the scheme of things. So, um, Brimstone, yes. Mm-hmm. It is an internationally financed English language production uh, is backed by a bunch of different countries, you know. Yeah, and I actually have a fun note about that because okay. I wondered when I saw when it started and the title comes up, it says um, Kulhoven's Brimstone. Yes, and I was like, is this just like a pretentious thing, or why is this uh, happening? And there actually is a reason for this because when they were doing this whole co-finance thing, the American side of it said like the plot and like how they were going to do it was too long, and they wanted a final cut to it that they could do whatever they wanted and have a final cut for America. And his like stipulation on that was like, well, if that's the case, then I want to call it um, Coolhoven's Brimstone. And then when you make the American cut, keep my name off it completely. Right. Um, yeah. But it seems like in the end, the per, the people from America they went with, they just liked it as it was. And so I was going to say, which one did I watch? And is that was the other one. There's there, only the one. There's cut. only the one cut. Oh, yeah. In the end, he got his. He got his. his you know cut. what I would rather have watched though is Verhoven's <laughs> Brimstone. <laughs> I think that would have been much cooler of a film. Well, this wasn't bloody enough for you? Uh, there was... No. <laughs> no. All right. Um, I, th- well, I think the-, the first thing I want to say is that I thought of this last time with Silverado and forgot to say it, and I think this film even more. Uh, when we talk about Westerns, the breadth of genre it can cover within just being a Western is hugely vast. This is a good example of that. It really is. Because we're going from Silverado, which is kind of a, a light, um, fun, adventurous kind of throwback to Brimstone, which is still very much a Western, but is also... We'll talk about It's that. a Western. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, it has some of those same tropes. But they're kind of... And I feel like even when we finish this, like we will have done three films and I don't think that even begins to scratch the surface of like the breadth of all the different types of Westerns that can exist. Right. Yeah, you could tell almost you know, almost any story through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this description. <laughs> if we're talking about what genre this is, Owen Gleiberman of Variety described it as a sadomasochistic Western domestic horror film. Oh. Hmm. Do we want to talk about genre off the top? We can. I can do that. Sure. I've got, some, I've got some thoughts. Uh, is this a Western? I think it's a Western. Why do you think it's not a Western? It's set during the Old West. It's the American <laughs> frontier. I don't think they ever specify like which state or territory or anything. Isn't it like Oklahoma or... No. No, the, I think South it's... South Dakota. Where did the Dutch settle a lot? Probably one of those places. Uh, it's. I think it's more of the Northwestern mm-hmm. area because we get into the mountains. and So it could be... I don't know. It's America. It is America. So here's my thing. 
in our first episode zero, when we defined what genre films were, we, we basically said there's a lot of answers to that, to like, it could be anything really. But one thing we kind of all agreed on was that like genre films are always very defined by their genre. They try to be of the type of the thing that they are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So then our next thing, if we talk about like, say when we discussed malignant, we said that it wasn't giallo despite many claims to the uh, contrary, because though it had some elements that also are elements of giallo, the totality of what Malignant is wasn't really a giallo. Okay. Y- yes, correct. So the, the end result of that was I kind of jokingly said, well, just because Malignant has pretty colors, that doesn't make it a giallo. Because if we say that any film with pretty colors is a giallo, then that deals in weird other stuff that is definitely not... Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. So my question is, just because this is set in the Old West, does that automatically make it a Western? Not automatically, but I think there's enough Western tropes that make it a Western. I think this teeters on the edge. I think this could go either way. I try to tell, like, I try to think of if I took this story, plucked it out of the setting, and stuck it somewhere else, would the story still work? And this one borderlines no. Yeah, I agree. Because you need you need the anonymity of. Western settlements. Yeah, right, right. Um, if she was in a bigger city or like an established place, I think this would be much harder because that's a good point. The main character is really mm-hmm. trying to disappear. A lot of like mm-hmm. we're going to talk about it. She's she's trying to leave an old life and disappear into somewhere else. Maybe we should go ahead and get to the plot. Mm-hmm. Some so that's where I, I so kind of let's put a pin in this. Maybe I kind of was teetering on it because I was like, if you pluck this and put it somewhere else. That's a good point. It doesn't work. Yeah, I like that. We'll it come back to, to it. Be there. But to me, I don't think it had enough of those like checkboxes where I felt like it was. This is going to be a very rambling episode. <laughs> I can tell you that already. Okay, so basically, the story begins with Dakota Fanning. She plays the lead. She's the lead actress. Liz. Liz is her name. Which, right off the bat, honestly, I think she did great. Dakota this, Fanning is great in this. She's really kind of an underrated actress. And you know, it's funny because she wasn't the first pick either. They had uh, was it Mia. Was a Kowska. Yes. Oh, I butchered that name. Sorry. Um, she was lined up first and then had another thing going on, I guess. There was mm-hmm. like timing issues that messed up and they went with her. And did you see who was supposed to play Kit Harrington's role? Yeah, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson was supposed to play it. Yeah. My man dodged a bullet. And apparently... <laughs> but Kit Harrington didn't. <laughs> Spoiler! Um, <laughs> but Kit Harrington only had like a couple of days to prepare for this. Uh, and Which is interesting. He felt very... After the fact, anyway, that I don't know. There's yeah. well, anyway, okay, so okay, first thing, I'm gonna let you get into the plot, but <laughs> I want to talk about the structure too. We should bring that up top level. This film is chaptered, it, it, right? It begins with the chapter, uh, Revelation, Revelation, right? mm-hmm. and it's told out of order. Let's say that up front, yes, it's told out of order, and I'm um, I guess intentionally so, yeah. Uh, now, I will say that the order works, I think the order that's told works for this movie. At, to me, it only worked once the ending happened. But that's the point, right? Yeah, you get but the like, whole story once but you it the whole pissed thing. me off through most of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll get into that. Okay, so now okay. that now that we've established that one fact, Jason, go ahead. First act, yes. Liz is a midwife. Mm-hmm. She, it starts with her helping a woman give birth. Uh, we find out very quickly that Liz is mute. Yep. Uh, so her daughter, who's like what five or six, mm-hmm. um, understands sign language that Liz gives. And can, you know, translate for those who do not know ASL. Uh, I don't think it was called ASL. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. We actually know what it was called because they hand her a book. 
and it's like I know I was making a joke. Don't be pedantic. <laughs> uh, it's her daughter's name Sam too. We should say her daughter's name is Sam, and she's got a husband named Eli, and he has a son uh, from a prior marriage named Matthew. Yes, and Matthew keeps insisting that Liz is not his mother. Yeah, we've got that typical family drama. Sure, he's a little shit, man. Well, <laughs> uh, I mean, he's supposed to be, but yeah, yeah. he's a little shit. So uh, we get we, she's well liked by the community. You know, the family she just helped give birth. The, the man hugs her and everything. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, they're going back home. They're getting waved at by people and all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, then we kind of meet the family. They live on a farm. Mm-hmm. Um, we see uh, Eli, her husband, instructing the son, whose name I forgot just now. Matthew. Matthew. How to use a rifle, and Liz doesn't like it. Puts it into it. Yep, they kind of, his conclusion is kind of like, well, he's going to do it eventually, so I should teach him. Yeah. But, but she just has like an apprehension about it. Right. Um... So pretty much the next time we see them, they're at church. Like you do for the time. Sure. You have to go to church if you don't. I did notice, (laughs) though, right off the bat, I knew something was different because the church was very puritanical. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like everyone is in black. Yeah, Yeah, they're all black, Uh, yeah. So This is definitely vestiges of the old world. Yeah. Still present. Mm -hmm. And I actually like this scene a lot because uh, Liz is like fussing with Sam or something. So her back's turned from the pew in the aisle. Yeah, her face that. is dirty or something, I think. Yeah. yeah. And you uh, you hear the preacher come in and he starts talking. And you just see Liz's face just drop, you know, and she slowly turns. And we see Guy Pierce as the preacher. He's got like a scar over his eye. He's got like a big scar on his neck. Mm-hmm. Is he a little burned here? He looks maybe a little burned. I couldn't really tell. He, uh, you could definitely tell he's been through the ringer. Yeah. He just looks rough. Yeah. And he's got a Dutch accent. And I've and got a note on this. This is um, in one of the many trivia notes I found where it was like talking up Coolhoven. So I wondered if he, he or someone connected to him wrote it. Um, an inspiration on this was Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm-hmm. And the same way that like Harmonica's first introduced in that film. He comes into the scene and he's not in frame, but you like hear him and hear like sounds related to him and his talking. But then like later, it's, he's shown in camera. Right. Yeah. And so this was kind of trying to be an homage to that. Nice little lift. Sure. And to get, that much better film. You could tell that guy Guy Pierce, <laughs> the Reverend. He's, he's never given a name. He's no, just, he's just the Reverend. Um, he's a fire and brimstone type. He says mm-hmm. that you know. We're all sinners, and he says that he knows the flames of hell, and mm-hmm. and he straight up calls out his congregation, like some of you have sinned. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much the fire and brimstone kind of. Yeah, he's yeah. doing the which we come to find out later is he's very specifically calling out someone there, mm-hmm. um, but you don't really like you see him as menacing. As like a menacing looking person, yeah. but honestly, like he's just a preacher to me, and they're all menacing. So I don't really. <laughs> it was like, well, he's just one of those. So, but notably, what we see is that Liz is spooked. Like there's oh, something yeah. about this that just sets her off. Yep, scared to death. And uh, everyone's leaving the church, and of course, the preacher shaking all their hands. Mm-hmm. And there's a pregnant woman who stops, and he even touches her belly. And Liz is seeing all this, and I guess she leaves from the back. Yeah, she kind of splits out. Yeah. Um, and even Eli notices it and he's kind of like, Oh, you didn't shake hands with the Reverend. Uh, yeah. Is everything okay? (laughs) And, but then that woman starts going into labor. Mm -hmm. So Liz jumps into action, goes to help. Uh, they're in the church and Liz tells, says to her daughter, through his language that the baby's head is too big Mm -hmm. and they have to choose the baby or the mother. 
Uh, and she tells this, I guess it's the woman's mother that she tells this to. It seems like it was just another woman that just like, yeah, some older lady is there too. And she's like, you know, cause the husband's there at first and they tell him to go wait outside. Right. Cause men should not be around for that. (laughs) (laughs) They, they don't really, the interesting thing is they don't really give the option to the mother. Like Liz knows what they, Liz Mm -hmm. knows what the right thing to do is. Right. I think she knows that if she tells everyone that they're all going to say no, save both, and they're both going to die. Right. So right. she has to take some sort of action, and uh, she she does deliver the baby, but we see the forceps involved, and there's a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. Um. So after that, she is very much shunned by the community because yeah. they they call her a murderer. Uh, the father shows up drunk at their house later that night, shooting his rifle through the window and stuff like that. Um, well, he was shooting bullets. He wasn't shooting his rifle. That's not really <laughs> how you. it works. And um, and notably, uh, the kid Matthew, he immediately like fires back. Yeah, he's shooting yeah. back. He's Matthew's perched like with snipe position, like yeah, at his window right. and everything. <laughs> yeah, um, and Eli, but, Eli just takes up with him. He's like, "Have you been hurt?" Yeah. <laughs> but the Reverend ends up showing up mm-hmm. and calming. I think his name is Samuel. No, oh, um, Samuel is uh, his name is Nathan. Nathan, right? Nathan. It's just one of those. Biblical names. Um, the <laughs> yeah. Reverend ends up showing up and basically calming Nathan down and hugging him and everything. But he has an ulterior motive for doing this. Sure. And ends up coming into the house mm-hmm. um, to try it really as a front to Eli and everything. Basically to say like, you know, it's okay. I'm here to help and all this stuff. But Liz is like, don't let the Reverend in the house. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why? Yeah, we have to. Yeah. Yeah. We have to. He just saved our skin. Kind Which of. This thing. is one of the first moments where we get this annoying. To me, it was annoying that continues to happen in this film where it's like she never fully explains anything to people and continually it's like to her detriment. But what is she supposed to say here? I mean, she's clearly competent in sign language. I yeah, sh- but what is she supposed to tell her but husband? But I do think you bring up an interesting point. And I have a bigger point to that, but we need to get further in the film first. Okay. I do think you bring up an interesting point that one of the reasons she doesn't divulge everything that happens, I directly equated this to the scandals in the Catholic Church. That when you have a preacher yeah. who everyone believes is a man of God, and you have a shady past that no one really knows about. And you're a woman. And you're, yeah, especially. <laughs> and you try to make an accusation like she's going to have to make. No one is going to believe you. Like, no, not a single person. Yeah. We'll come back to it. But again, she doesn't even try. But but then we find out the arrangement with her husband and everything kind of has a different sure. thing going we'll on. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So the husband goes to fetch Liz because uh, she's not at the kitchen table with them while they're talking. Um, but she's, she's hiding she's right outside the door. Yeah. yeah. Her husband walks past and then the Reverend starts speak, speaking to her. Like, I know you're there. You know, I know you can't talk, but you can hear. Tells her she's responsible for the death of that baby. Yep. She's going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And he has an interesting line, um, here too, which I think makes more sense later, but it's a quote from the Bible. Uh, one thing he says here is, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Or in your heart? Because he's talking just to, to Liz here. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what Jesus says when he's risen from the grave and the disciples are startled and frightened. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't know that. Being I had a, to look that up. Being kind of cheeky, I guess. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit. He's already issuing threats. Mm-hmm. Like, that. I don't think the film was ever, like, trying to hide the fact that there's something going on between the two of them. Right, they're, they're obviously have a past. Sure. Um, I wasn't sure the angle yet. Like, at this point, I was wondering, like, is it kind of like a witchcraft type thing? It could be anything at this point, right? Yeah, but it's also still, she's a woman in this time, and, mm-hmm. yeah. So, he leaves, um... <laughs> And the next day, they find all their sheep slaughtered. It was kind of a sad thing because Matthew like really enjoyed like I guess you know feeding, caring for the sheep and sure. stuff. Yeah, you can tell he had like a bond with them, and then he's the one that discovers them. Yeah, they're all torn apart. And notably, some of the ones that were pregnant, they kind of have like the baby pulled out yeah. like from the cut stomach. Right. So of course, Eli thinks that Nathan came back and did this. He and his son right off to Nathan's place. Uh, and find that Nathan is not there. His family's gone. There's no belongings whatsoever. Yep. Completely abandoned. Uh, however, the Reverend is on their farm. <laughs> and I forget the exact uh, events here. It's, uh, oh yeah. We'll see. First, a little bit of the day goes by, because I know they go around the city. It's what, um, Liz goes to see the family from the opening. Because she's supposed yes, to check back in about their right. baby, that's and they right. don't want her to. And yeah, they don't they, want her they're shunning her. And they do the scene again where she's kind of going by. I think that there's people building a house, and they do the same thing where like the little girl Sam tries to wave at them and say yeah. hi, and they just totally ignore, they ignore them. Her. Yeah. Then they get to that house and they turn them away and they say, "We don't want your help anymore." The Reverend uh, got us in contact with a doctor, and he's going to come and take care of the baby now. That's right. So yes. we don't need you. Yes. So they are being shunned. So she kind of goes back home in defeat. And then that night's when stuff starts to pop off because she decides that she's going to slip out in the night. Yeah, she goes to the Reverend to the church to try to, to kill him. She has mm-hmm. a dagger. Um, but finds her daughter's doll mm-hmm. and no Reverend. Correct. And starts... Which starts the first of many times that the Reverend teleports around like Jason Voorhees. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, I mean, I think there's a reason for that. This is a hold the dark situation, but we'll get into that. Okay. All right, um, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so there's some Eli's in the barn, and the Reverend's in there, and he, well, before that, he's, like, stalking around the house, we see, like, a clip of him, like, he's in the daughter's room, that's right, yes. and then Eli wakes up, goes to check on the daughter, he's not, uh, he's not there, that's but, right, yeah, he sees a light, fine. he sees yeah. a light in the barn, goes to investigate, um, there was like a, yeah, just a lit uh, lantern hanging there. And then the Reverend comes up behind him and stabs him in the gut. This is this scene, I thought, it set up a tone for the movie that I kind of wish carried. Mm-hmm. Um, because what ends up happening with this is really fucking brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's, Eli's, he knows he's gone. Like, there's no yeah. surviving He's suffering, he's in pain, and once the Reverend is basically taken the little girl, their daughter, and gone off, I guess, right? He takes her now? Well, he's going to take her. He's going to take her. Um, but it's left to uh, the kid. Well, she comes back to her to their homestead because she realizes the Reverend went there. Mm-hmm. And when she gets there... She finds... They find Eli, Eli. on and, the right. ground, and he's got his intestines pulled and, out of his stomach. Yeah, and he's like wrapped around his throat. Wrapped around his throat. And he's begging to die. Like, he's begging her. Yeah. And she can't do it. And then that's when Matthew comes in, and he kind of takes the gun from her. 
very, and very reluctantly. Ends up killing his own dad. True. Like, I mean, he was dead anyway. It was yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, just the trauma that sure. now is inflicted on this kid. And that morning they had talked about, um, Liz had asked Eli about getting out of town for a while. Uh-huh. She's kind of wanting to dodge the reverend. And he had made plans to, I think it's to go see his father. Yeah. Who's a little further up north. In the mountains, he says. And so um, she has Matthew go and get their wagon. They get Sam and they just set out. Their house is on fire, too. Mm -hmm. The house is burned down. So this kind of puts an end to this chapter. This chapter. Mm -hmm. And then the next chapter opens with... Called Exodus. Yes. Opens with a young girl... um, Almost like Silverado, she's laying in the middle of the desert. Yeah, yeah. She's obviously <laughs> dying in the in the desert. Um, she ends up getting picked up, like she's dying in the desert. But she ends up getting picked up um, by some Chinese immigrants mm-hmm. that are coming through. Which I do really appreciate this about this film is that I think way too many westerns brush over the influence and impact of Chinese immigrants in the West. Mm-hmm. Or they'll either like chalk they, them they up. They go way too far. Yeah, they'll go way too far, <laughs> chalk them up as a caricature, um, you know, and almost make them comedic relief. But mm. but the West was made by immigrant labor. Sure. Like the entire United States is made well, by immigrant labor. <laughs> exactly. But like, I think this actually showed a, a, a truer depiction mm-hmm. of, of Chinese immigrants. And so they're speaking Cantonese with each other and... Um, you know, we learn the girl's name Joanna later, but right, and so they end up like basically just taking her to this town that they're heading. They to. take her to Bismuth, which is a mining town, mm-hmm. and promptly sell her to a whorehouse. Yep, <laughs> ran by a man named Frank, played by Paul Anderson. This is one of the best performances I think in this whole movie. He though. does a good job. He's very sleazy, and his place is called Frank's Inferno. Frank's Inferno. I honestly like he had so much charisma. Yeah. That I hadn't really seen this dude in a whole lot, um, yeah. but like that character is one of the be- most well fleshed out characters of the movie to me, and it's weird that that that's <laughs> that that's the most well fleshed out character to me. Mm-hmm. He's a ruthless motherfucker, but oh, he's yeah. a, but he's really he's very fun, well acted, really character. fun to watch in yeah. all the scenes. Uh, but yeah, Joanna is. Sold to him, mm-hmm. and he's knows that he can't really put her to work right Yet. now. Like he, I think he realizes, like, well, people are probably going to think pretty poorly of me if I do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so she ends up kind of being taken under the wing of um, one of the prostitutes. There seems to be like kind of seems a little older, like she's Sally's been there a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Sally. Is basically talking to her, you know, trying to ask her, take care of her, sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that quickly, she quickly ends up getting thrown into this life. <laughs> well, there's yeah. some there's some interesting things where it's uh, like she asks her basically if she's had her period yet or not. Yeah, that's kind of like the determining factor that Frank cares yeah. about for when he's going to put her to work. Yep, because uh, of course, then you're a woman, mm-hmm. as they as they said then. Um, and so she actually has Joanna kind of hide this fact because she has already right. had her period. And so she's trying to like push off when Post she's finally the yeah. horribleness for a while. Um, and then we actually get like a little hint too of what's going on with her story because a bunch of the prostitutes come in and they're all, you know, getting ready and stuff. And they meet Joanna for the first time and they're all like giving her a hard time. One of them says something about how 
did your daddy like you so much that he wanted to share you with everyone? Mm-hmm. And she gets a look on her face and obviously is upset and mad and gets up and leaves. Right. And we get a little bit about like the situation in Bismuth is they've kind of given Frank free reign on this place because it's a mining town. Those are hardworking miners. And hard-working they deserve life. to yep. treat women how they want. Um, his brother's the sheriff, notably. So yeah. there's kind of a bit of a corruption. It's they don't nice explore it, but yeah. it's clear that this is just sort of like a setup they got going on. Mm-hmm. And further illustrates just the powerlessness of women. Um, but one of the rules that Frank kind of prides himself on for his establishment is that uh, when he has a customer, they are treated with utmost respect and that his uh, his women will never harm them at all, ever. The customer is literally always um, right, according to Frank. Which hit me kind of weird because I feel like if you're running a brothel, it's like... The women working for you are like everything. To, you want to protect to your, your merchandise and air quotes. Yeah, you right? would care about that more than like an unruly customer. You're going to be like, well, fuck you. I'm going to throw you out. But this is like totally backwards. I also think that he just sees women as a never ending resource to be plundered. Right. Because there's always another Joanna to come through the door. You know. Also, Bismuth is South Dakota, by the way. So mm. this is where oh, we okay. are. There we go. South Dakota. Wonderful. We got there finally. Good yeah, job. Woo. <laughs> I'm useful for something. Yeah. <laughs> Michael did it. Yeah, I did it. Um. Yeah. So then we get that. <laughs> so then we get the unruly customer. Unruly because customer. They, they said they tell you that rule just because it's the setup for this to happen. Yeah, because he wants to be with Joanna, mm-hmm. but Sally intervenes and says, "I'll give you a freebie." But the guy says Joanna has to watch. Yeah. So yeah. Jo- Joanna's in the room with them while they're doing their thing. Oh, I did think it was comical. Like the first time she walks in on someone having sex. And they're doing like this very lame, like, oh, come on, you can do it. Uh. <laughs> right. And she asks her, like, why do you do that? And she's Make like, noises and stuff. Yeah, she's like, oh, it makes them feel good, helps them finish quicker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the, but that was the thing for me, is it gets it over quicker. This dude, like, is obviously a real sick. He's also a right, mean bastard. Oh, like, yeah. You can oh, tell yeah. he's a horrible human being. And, uh, like, it, things start to turn. Mm-hmm. And, like, the entire time that he's having sex with Sally, he's making eye contact with Joanna. Mm-hmm. And it's ugh, it's so disgusting to watch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, this scene is gross. But then, like, as things progress, he starts, he tells Sally, I want you to hit me. Mm-hmm. And she knows what's going to happen the second she does it. And she's like, I'm not going to do that, man. Like, well, he ends up threatening Joanna basically and yep. Sally hits him. Well, then he just starts beating the shit yep. out of Sally. Yeah. And you can tell it immediately affects Joanna. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes for the pistol that's hanging on the bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she gets the pistol out um, and points it at him. Well, this is actually getting him going even right. more he, now. He leans into it. He starts choking Sally, like really choking Sally. Like, oh, he's going to kill her. There was no question it ain't, that he it ain't, was... It ain't Kane Hodder playing around in a convention. No. <laughs> you know, this is real. I'm going to kill you choking. Uh, and, and he, he basically, keeps saying, shoot me. He said, yeah. shoot me. Well, I think he knew the gun wasn't loaded. Well, right. right. He, that's what got him off. Yeah. Because as soon as he pulls the trigger, he literally gets off. Yeah. Um, but then he walks over to Joanna and basically is going to make Joanna go down on him. Mm -hmm. And that's when Sally comes up with her own pistol here. Bam. With her little two shot (laughs) Derringer. And, uh, but then we see kind of the corruption of this town and the treatment of women in this town. I do think that is a common thread through this film. Absolutely. That I, that I think gets a, gets a little muddied. Hmm. Like, we'll see. Okay. I think that that should, because if you're not careful, you focus on the reverend mm-hmm. and not the treatment of women. 
you know, because of the way the film is paced and the way it's put together, the Reverend is the true story. But really, I think the true story is like what happens to Liz mm-hmm. in her life. But I think it can if you're not careful. Well, we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, the the sheriff is now out in the middle. They've basically taken Sally in, and he tells them that you know that there are laws in this town, mm-hmm. and that you know you can't just kill. Basically, said like a prostitute cannot kill her own client yeah right yeah no matter what happens no matter what happens they hang her yeah um at least i thought at least they were kind though and they hanged her right (laughs) because you hear her neck break yeah at least they didn't just let her hang there and notably one of the other prostitutes kind of covers joanna's eyes yeah because they're all out watching um and then we get a little time skip within this chapter Time skip Yep. yep joanna grows up some and she is not being played by dakota fanning See, this threw so, me. So in then that scene. makes the connection that Joanna is apparently the Liz from the first chapter. Right. This threw me because I was like, who is this girl? Is this the girl? Is this the little girl <laughs> from the beginning? Mm-hmm. That, like, is something happened? Right. Like, yeah. But I think it's supposed to, yeah. You don't, right, you, don't, exactly. you don't yet have the hint that there's like a non-linearity thing going on. Right. This scene is really funny, though. The introduction mm-hmm. to her playing Joanna is she's with a client now. Like, she's grown up and she's with a client. Mm-hmm. And it's some schmuck, <laughs> dude. And uh, one of the other girls runs in and she's like, Frank's getting ready to get in a shootout out in the street. You got to come down. And she's like, and the dude's like, well, I'm not done yet. And so the other girl yeah. lifts her. She flashes her ass out. Flashes her ass. And uh, Joanna's like, maybe we should have her join us the next time. And the dude immediately <laughs> just like, oh. <laughs> and she just takes off running. Yeah. Which her friend that comes in is Elizabeth Brundy. Yes. Right. Set that up. They're kind of like best friends now. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth. Yeah. What's her name? Um, so they go out to the gunfight and. It's, it's a it's a funny scene. It's a funny scene. The the dude who challenged Frank is an older guy. He's talking about how he's corrupted his daughter and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and he's a murderer. He's clearly like a, a city folk, you yeah. might say. There's and, no question as to how this gunfight's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but yeah, there's a little bit of a monologue out there from this older dude, basically telling Frank how much of a piece of shit he is, like we didn't already know. <laughs> um, and then it comes down to they draw, and Frank quickly like i don't even think the dude well, got his gun out did he? i don't think frank killed him well that's the thing is when i watch this he shoots after the guys already at, at first i was like what the fuck they didn't even yeah. time the shots right but then yeah. you see he had a gunman up on the next level oh. there's a dude up there with the rifle yeah, yeah. okay he shot him yeah okay you see the the man react to being shot and then frank's drawing his gun and mm-hmm. shooting okay yeah so i thought that was pretty clever yeah that was fun um but yeah then Things go back in or whatever, and uh, we kind of get the life. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, and Joanna, you know, are best friends. They're hanging out. Uh, Joanna's kind of given herself over to this lifestyle, and that's just her world now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but Liz wants to. Elizabeth wants to leave. Yep. And she thinks, like, you know, we can get out of here. We can kind of do our own thing. We don't need to be here. Mm-hmm. And they're saving up money for it. Mm. Uh, but as things progress, you kind of get the. There's a little bit too much time spent there between the two of them. I think. I don't but, think there was that much, personally. Eh, I don't know. This is a long chapter. In the it is a really long chapters. chapter. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Elizabeth is with a client who... Uh, she bites his tongue. 
Right. She so he keeps trying to kiss her, and yeah. she has a rule that she no one says no kissing, her. and yeah. and she tells him like he just keeps pushing, keeps pushing, and she bites his tongue. Yeah. And uh, this dude apparently is a big wig at the mine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so Frank is super pissed off. And see, this is where I had a problem with his rules because I was like, wouldn't you want to protect? Your your prostitute there because like unless you just see them as a resource to be discarded. I think that's another, um, but I think that's another trope of westerns that we often see is there's usually a very protective quality over prostitutes in towns. You know, like Mm -hmm. clearly there's not because you wouldn't be whoring someone out. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone chooses to do it on their own, that's their own thing. You know, but like they're clearly Mm -hmm. forced into it. Um, but yeah, I think we get used to that and I don't think that was at all real life. I think this is probably a much closer picture to depending on the town. I think it probably depended on the town. I don't think it's beyond belief that there could be some godforsaken place where something like this could happen and no one would give a shit. Right. And especially like for Frank, it's all about the money. And he's wanting to get as much gold from these guys as he can because he sees them as a continuous revenue stream. And so for him, each girl is, you know... I just don't know. I've, it's like simple math. You know, no girls, no money. Yeah, but, but I mean, but I, I, I really think it's just there's always another girl. I don't think Frank's <laughs> that... I don't think he thinks that far ahead. I don't know. It just seemed a little incredulous to, incredulous to me. And it seemed like it was almost a thing where this is just a device to set up what happens in the story. Possibly, but I mean, I, I I don't have trouble buying him seeing them as just chattel. Well, so Frank right. ends up basically he telling... Cuts Elizabeth's well, he he yeah. asks the uh, client what he wants. Yeah, what do you it, want yeah. me to do to her? You know, like, I'm not going to kill her because mm-hmm. she didn't kill you, but what do you want done? And this dude, his name's Mike, um, ends up just like, I want you to cut her fucking tongue out. And I was like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah. Like... Um, and he does it immediately. He's like, all right, eye for an eye. But he's And he's making a show of this. Like mm-hmm. He's putting on a performance for all these guys. Even though the guy's tongue wasn't removed. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, it's a pretty rough scene because you don't show it, uh, but the next scene you see Elizabeth um, being tended to by the doctor, yeah. who's so basically like... Who's really a character I wish had more screen time a little bit. Because um, he's clearly like supportive of them. I think he's probably, I, I almost felt for him because you know he's been to medical school. Mm-hmm. He's come out here thinking that he's going to make a difference and he realizes that the world is shit. Yeah. <laughs> like that <laughs> there is no difference to be made here. Yeah. Um, but he does give Elizabeth a book of sign language. Which is um, at the time sign language for the deaf and dumb, I think is yeah. what it was called. Um, and we see Elizabeth and Joanna. Joanna. They learn it so they can communicate with one and another. Talking, yeah. um, and then the next thing is they kind of go back to this idea of Elizabeth wanting to get out of there. And she's been seeing a marriage broker mm-hmm. trying to set her up with someone. And of course, the fact that she is mute now is its whole own problem. Yep. But he, the prospective the, husband knows this. Yeah. The broker finds just the right person who doesn't care about that. He just wants a good wife that can cook. And we learn his name is Eli. Mm-hmm. And he has a young son. Mm-hmm. So then there's your con- more connective and, and tissue. And they have a picture. They show the picture yep. and it's, yeah, it's Eli. From the first chapter. It makes me wonder what happened in Eli's life. You know, like that he <laughs> That had wasn't to... uncommon. That really wasn't. I know, but like that you had to see a marriage broker. It, mm-hmm. it... 
I mean, pickings were kind of slim depending on where you were, you know? Right, because they're in a whole other place from Bismuth. Yeah. And then she's getting the thing to go there to yeah, meet him. I was... mean, granted, the three of us have no business being <laughs> with the women that we are with because we all are hitting way above our <laughs> our, <laughs> our class. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so clearly, I mean, I guess my marriage broker was online dating. So <laughs> I guess that's kind of the thing. But. I don't know. Um, but when they, they, so they get the thing about the marriage broker, that's all set up. It's mm-hmm. going to pop off soon. They're going to leave soon. They've got a bunch of money saved up. I think she's wanting Joanna, what, just to come along with her, right? To the yeah. other town. Yeah. Um, but when they Joanna's going to be her sister. Yep. And when sister. they get back to the brothel, something's crazy has happened. There's expensive, rich guys walked in and bought out the whole place. Bought the whole place. And he yep. wants to see all the girls. So Frank runs them all, gets them to dress up the best they can, and he basically coaches them and is like, all right, this is a big client. It's the first time he's come in here. This has to go perfect so that he will continue to come to us. Mm -hmm. Do whatever he wants. And he basically flat out tells them, if anyone screws this up at all, you're dead. Mm -hmm. Just flat out. Yeah. Now, I can't remember. Does Joanna get a look at who it is? Yeah. She She does see him. She sees that it's the reverend. So she puts on a blindfold to basically try to obscure her Her face face a little bit. And that'll be the reverend here. Uh, is he doesn't have a scar? Right, right. he's younger. He, he, he looks, looks much more put together. Yeah, he doesn't look <laughs> as fucked up. Um, but as they all kind of present themselves, he's looking really nervous about the whole situation. Like he doesn't want to be there. Right. But then, um, Joanna is the final girl to come down, and uh, Frank's really playing this up, <laughs> yes. like telling the story about I don't even know where she came from. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's wearing a mask over her eyes. And he's like, oh, she's so mysterious. Some, yeah. yeah. And he's like really trying to sell the whole thing, but clear. And the reverend's like, "No, she's the one I want." He's like, "But you, you paid for all of this." He said, "No, I paid for no one to see me doing this," which I thought was a really interesting line. Yeah. Um, because at that point, you're still unsure of their story. Yeah, what is their relationship? You still don't know what's going on. Um, but as he takes her up to the room to presumably do whatever, um, that's when you start to see her fight back against him, you know, like, and he takes his belt off yep, and, and, and saying that God will punish you. And I must punish you now because God has willed it. And you start seeing his, um, fervent, like ultra, ultra religious old school fire and brimstone. Hey, <laughs> yeah. that's the name of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, uh, Elizabeth comes in and she's crying for help. Yep. Yep. Joanna's crying for help. Elizabeth comes in with a knife and stabs him in the back. Right. Um, but that doesn't end well for Elizabeth. Though. No, because she in turn gets stabbed in the chest. <laughs> yeah. And is promptly killed. And so she's laying there dead. And now Joanna has to figure out how she's going to get out of the situation. She thought she was going to be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, she picks up the knife herself. She picks mm-hmm. it up, <laughs> slashes his eye, eye yep. and then just fucking slashes his throat. Yeah. Like, she goes for it. And he's bleeding profusely, laying on the floor, staring up at her. And, and, I mean, it looks to me like he's dead. Yeah. I mean, he's dead. And how she covers it is she basically takes, she gathers up her stuff, and she takes one of the oil lanterns Mm -hmm. and throws it on Elizabeth and burns the entire inferno down. Yep, she kind of stages it almost like Elizabeth... And the reverend. Like they got in a tussle or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, she puts the knife in Elizabeth's hand. And notably, she takes the little marriage broker packet (laughs) that Elizabeth had. Yep. Because the next scene is she goes to see the doctor and wants him to cut her tongue out. Yeah, she takes a pouch of gold Mm -hmm. from 
the preacher too. Yes, yeah. this is what she's going to pay the doctor with. And the doctor is like, "You sure? Why do you want to do this? You sure you want to do this?" Mm. And the doctor can't bring himself to do it. Yeah, and she grabs a fucking scalpel and does it herself. Yeah. Um, again, they don't show it. No, it's <laughs> off screen, but it's brutal enough that you don't need to show that. Um, and I just want to make this note now for later. Mm-hmm. In removing her tongue, she loses her voice. Just put a pin in that thought. Okay. Um. So I didn't. I don't think that she lost her voice, but I have uh, known people who have had tongue malformations and they choose not to speak, mm. just because of. In the scope of the movie, she never speaks past this. Right. So just keep that thought in your mind. I'm going to come back to it. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so she ends up going to the marriage broker and passes herself off as Liz because it, I mean, it was a drawing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, here is this stick figure <laughs> yeah. with boobs. <laughs> and I mean, she's kind of more attractive than the original Elizabeth in a lot of ways. So it's a trade up. Yeah. Uh, so that's she, when that chapter ends. Right. And so, yeah, now we get that. So uh, now we chapter get, is called Genesis. Yeah. Chapter three, Genesis. And we realize now we've been inception kicking backwards. Yes. In time. Because this one opens up in the desert. There's a couple of men badly wounded. We finally get Kit Harrington. We finally get Kit Harrington. He plays Samuel. And his buddy's name's Wolf, I guess. Are they buddies, though? Not really. Yeah. Frenemies, maybe. They've obviously been involved in some sort of a heist or something. Mm -hmm. They robbed the bank. There's been a big shootout. Been a shootout. A lot of dead people. Kit Harrington's injured. His name's (laughs) Samuel, right? Yeah, Samuel. Samuel. This is the Samuel, yeah. And he kind of limps to the only horse that's not been shot (laughs) in the conflict. And the other guy that's still alive pulls a gun on him and they ride off together. Um, So they end up showing up at this um, homestead. It's kind of like a little commune almost, I would say. It's which we come to learn is um, it's like a Dutch community. It's a Dutch community. Yeah, Yeah, Dutch settlement that's a religious community. But here Um, we meet meet Joanna. And her mother, Anna. Played by... Well, we see um, Joanna again, I guess, but obviously... A, 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 yeah, right. Joanna, yeah. And, and it's played by Carice Van Houten. Who is uh, Melisandre from yes. Game of Thrones. Yes. So more Game of Thrones in this film. And I was yeah. pissed that she and Kit Harrington didn't have at least one scene together. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, so uh, Joanna is the daughter of Anna and the Reverend. Who still we never get his name. Never get his name. I, but honestly, I don't think it's... No, it doesn't matter. It's, just, no. I, it's interesting that they yeah. never give it... I think it keeps it more mysterious. <laughs> uh, Samuel and Wolf, they go to the farm. And uh, Joanna takes them into the barn without her parents' knowledge. Right. And during all this time, we're learning that the Reverend is just like we've already seen him. He's fire and brimstone, mm-hmm. old school. Women obey. You know, they do what they're told. Um He's asking his wife for sex in the beginning. She says no, and he's talking about how it's been too long and that she should bend to his will and do what he wants. Mm-hmm. And he's already giving looks at Joanna. Yeah, right. There's a, t- there's a time where she's taking a bath and he's kind of creeping yeah, at the it's door. It's obvious where this is going, and it makes starts to make more sense, her backstory. And as he's starting to look to Joanna, that's when Joanna's mother now is like doing everything she can to subvert, yeah. like to step in between... And I think this is where we really should put that disclaimer um, for child abuse, child mm-hmm. sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, the the way this is presented is very authentic. Mm-hmm. And the way that... What's her mother's name? Anna. 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 The way that Anna goes about this is really hard to watch because 
I've heard stories from people that have been abused mm-hmm. and this is so common, mm-hmm. like yeah. mm-hmm. basically taking the abuse on herself to protect her daughter. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole time she's Joanna still kind of like slipping out to the barn to help Samuel. Um, yeah, and, she patches him up and everything. And she gets to know him a little bit. Like yep. they start to have this relationship and I think Samuel really starts to catch on really quick. Yeah. Things, things are not right at this house. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it eventually escalates very heavily. <laughs> and uh, also conveniently, the preacher, he, he doesn't do any work. Right. That's for the women. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a man of God and he, he doesn't have to work. Because that's what even sets up Joanna being able to treat them is that she yeah. says, oh, well, she's, she's old enough now. She can do work. Right. And he doesn't go out in the barn or do any of that stuff. Well, and they have pigs and there's a really, it's a rough scene. It was a rough scene for me to watch. Um, they make her slaughter the pig. Yeah, they make her slaughter the pig, which I get. It's something you'd have to do. Mm, yeah, she shoots it in the head. Um, which she has one of those like bolt yeah. thrower yeah, things. It's like a single shot <laughs> bolt thing. Yeah. Um, and then she slices his neck. Yeah. And cries. And I'm not sure. I kind of wanted to know how they did that. Because that looked so. It looks good. It looks, it looks really, really real. and yeah. Which made it harder to watch. Um, but yeah, she's very upset. Very traumatized. Again, that's just kind of part of life there like you if, you, yeah, if I you're mean, gonna eat you gotta eat sure it, it doesn't just magically get there no um, i will say this chapter is probably my favorite part of the film if we do it by chapter i almost feel like this part could have been a film to itself mm, if yeah. you just stretched it out and spent more time of like her relationship with samuel and maybe his stories of his adventures you're not wrong and no. delved a little more on like the reverend and anna and their relationship mm-hmm. maybe their past yeah um although i do have one gripe i have with this scene, the sequence was okay. So the preacher, he doesn't do any work, right? Mm-hmm. How did he get so ripped? You see him flagellating himself, and Guy Pierce is all jacked and ripped, and he's like, "You don't do any work? How are you doing that? He's spending too much time at the gym. He should be working on their farm." Yeah, I thought the same thing when I saw him, but also the type of character that he is, you could see him focusing on like his temple. Mm-hmm. You yeah, could the body is the temple. Like you could, but you could seriously see him as like the kind of guy who would do as much calisthenics as possible because he must keep his body in pristine shape. But yeah, clearly, and, and this is probably also a good time to point out how good Guy Pierce is in this role. He really is. Mm-hmm. He he's so, you can tell he's having fun playing a very despicable. Character. He doesn't get to play bad guys that often, and the bad guys that he has played, like the Mandarin, um, <laughs> are not very good. No. Um, well, the one thing I will say is for all my gripes at this film, all the acting is superb like yeah, across the board. Great. I it, think it's shot well, too. It's it very beautiful. It, I thought it was shot on film. It was not. It was shot digitally, but mm. it looks really fucking good. Um, when I was looking at like uh, other reviews and criticisms online, I saw like some one of the most common criticisms I saw is people didn't like Kit Harrington, and they said that his accent was kind of bad, but I thought he did great. I thought he did fine. His accent was a little... Eh, and I watched but, it... I watched also, it. Uh, I've heard people who have accents like that. So in true. real life, we also true. don't know what area he came from. So you know, because mm-hmm. he is like a drifter type. Yeah, uh, I watched this with Tiffany, and she will always like harp on an accent if mm-hmm. it if it's weird or she thinks it's off, and she didn't have a problem with it. So yeah, there you go. That said a lot to me. I right. think it's it's meta. I think to have a problem with his accent because you know how British right right Kit yeah. Harrington is, and so when you hear him, the British person trying to sound <laughs> like a cowboy, and you've mm-hmm. always um, heard him being John Snow mm-hmm. and like having his very yeah. specific accent. Um, but I thought he did great. I would watch a Western that he helmed. Yeah, yeah. he did great. Yeah. Right. I've, I've always liked him. So 
as the as it progresses to where uh, the big moment is that Anna finally confronts the Reverend, right? Yes, about the uh, burgeoning feelings. She knows what he's up to, and she's telling him no. And he starts. He whips her, beats her, he, he takes kinda... her to town somewhere, and has a uh, scolds bridle made for her. Yeah, which is like a piece that goes over her head and covers her mouth, and yeah, it locks in there's place. A mouthpiece that goes inside. It goes on top of the tongue. And a lot of times they would have like little uh, like needles and stuff oh, where God. if you tried to talk, it would just, and that's a holdover from uh, medieval times. Right. You know? and, I know... and I could totally see these people using that too. Yeah. And I know he's the reverend and everyone respects him, but it just baffles my mind that like nobody is put off by this at all. It, it, I kind of see it, though, because it's that bridging between the old world and the new. It does not baffle me one bit, because if you've spent as much fucking time in churches as I have, <laughs> dude, like... And it's something in the 1880s. If you brainwash them enough and you tell them that this is God's will, this is what God wants you to do, and if you don't, you'll go to hell, people are so fucking afraid to go to hell that they will look past yeah. all of the most hor- horrible and heinous shit. Like, to me, I didn't see anything wrong with this because I've fucking seen it. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, sorry, I get very angry about it. Cause <laughs> well, my thing is, I, I said... You've seen I people said, wearing school's No, <laughs> I've seen this mentality of like, well, I'm going to look past that because oh, yeah, clearly right. God has said that you've done something wrong. Sure. It's like, fuck you. I don't know. I guess I always struggle <laughs> like, with it because it's like, I did sit through all that stuff, but then I was the person that was like, but wait, that sounds wrong. <laughs> right. But it also depends. Like, I think if you end up... Like, I, I don't want to single out... Um, denominations because not all of them are the same. But well, our experience is mostly with you know Christian denominations. Yeah, so. but but it, and and even the sects within Christian denominations, mm-hmm. like they really differ a lot into how the treatment is of mm-hmm. different people. And I think when you start getting so, which into one's those, right, Michael? <laughs> well, let me extrapolate my point further with the next scene. The next thing that happens is that in response to this, Anna commits suicide. It's a great scene. In front of, in front of the, the whole You're, you're in church. She's sitting there with the scold's bridle on. And I love it because Joanna is like, I can't believe you let him do this to you. I'd rather die than have, the, have you know, yeah. be treated this way. And Anna just gets up and leaves. And the reverend's preaching, blah, 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 blah. And wham, she falls down from the church bell rope right there in the middle of everything. The interesting scene for this, though, is how <laughs> people are like, whoa. Well, well this yeah. is, to continue my point, like when that happens, not a single person in the congregation comforts Joanna at all. No, no. one tries to shield her. No one tries to like comfort her nope. or anything. They but just... it's because of what the Reverend does to pivot. Like she did this to put him in his place mm-hmm. and to basically shame him. But he pivots immediately. And starts talking about how she has sinned and she's in hell, and that she's in hell, and basically you don't want anything to do with her because then you'll be in hell, and like everybody's so goddamn afraid of hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but now this opens the door for yeah. There's no one right. to stop him now. Yeah, uh, which that did bother me. Like that bothered me about Anna's character. Just because I, she had to have known what was going to happen, I, when she, she just did gave it. up. I mean, I yeah, mean, who can blame her? That's true. I mean, yeah. Christ, we've seen I had all a problem of with the, it too, though, Michael. So I don't think you're alone in that. Feeling. That just hurt me as a parent. You know, like how 
how do you give up when you know that your child is sure, basically going to get raped? How now? many how many psychoses this are, are yeah. milling about all these people? I mean, she's probably not in her right mind. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the way, wearing a skull's bridal. Who knows? So now the reverend though decides like, well, we can go forward with the ceremony. Thank God Anna's out of the way. Yeah. Jesus, really, oh, you're going to marry me. A, uh, one bit of ramp up too, because it's it's one of the most comical scenes in the movie. Oh I think. yeah, right. Uh, as she's been treating Samuel and Wolf, they're finally to the point where they're kind of mobile again. Yeah. <laughs> and Wolf's getting the old uh, side eye yeah. at Joanna. Yeah. And Samuel immediately is like, okay, this is going to be a problem. So now that he's mobile again, Wolf decides he's going to go to the outhouse. Mm-hmm. Since the family's gone, they just have Joanna there kind of tending things. And the second he leaves the barn, Samuel's like, I'm going to need some rope. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just kind of cuts to Wolf in the shitter, and you see a noose like slip down in over his neck. <laughs> Yep, and Kit Harrington's on the back, and he's pulling on it. And, uh, the guy can't get any traction; he can't stand up. Yeah, he's kills choked. him in the shitter. I love it because he tries to like shoot out the back because he yeah. assumes that's where he is. And then when it cuts, you see that he climbed up on the roof. <laughs> so he knows he would shoot in the back. Yeah, but he kind of levels with Joanna, and he's like, "I had to do that." And Joanna's watching yeah. the whole time because he'll he opens the door, and she's standing there watching. And well, then this is important because now the scene comes where the Reverend is going to try to finish the ceremony. Mm-hmm. He's trying to do it biblically. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's even said lot laid with his daughters. Yeah. You know, he even quotes scripture, which is totally out of context. Well, um, that's what they do, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. When he was quoting <laughs> Come that at me. when he was quoting that, I was like, that's not the rest of the story. <laughs> like um yeah. But yeah, he's gonna try to marry his daughter, and then and she's sleep in a skilled bridal too. Like he's whipped yeah. her. Well, not at first. Her... First, when they're in the church, because is the church scene happened first. Well, they he takes her to the church to the whole marriage thing, and she's in a skilled bridal. Then. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But as he's getting ready to do the cer- as they're trying to complete the ceremony or whatever, Samuel busts in the door. Yep. Um, before this, though, I do have to say the fact that they fed Wolf to the pigs yeah. <laughs> oh, right. was very yeah. fucking brutal. Um, but he was an asshole. So. Yeah, yeah, screw him, screw Wolf. But Samuel busts in the door, kind of saves saving the day or whatever, and you see that he's holding that um, that bolt gun, that thing. bolt yeah. shooter. I really like what he says because the first thing he because the Reverend has no clue who he is at all, and the first thing he says is that's a very special daughter that you have there. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Joanna was trying to get with Kit Harrington. Yeah. And he says, no, no. She says, I'm bold enough. He says, I know, but we're not going to do this. There's an interesting way that shot is framed, too, because when he opens the door, the way he's framed, it looks like he has angel's wings. Mm-hmm. So you're already seeing from Joanna's eyes right, that she is viewing him as her guardian angel, like her savior or whatever, because she's yeah. been brainwashed so much by all this bullshit that that's what she sees. And this is very much the arrival of the hero. He's come to save the day. And I, I really, really liked his his monologue. Mm-hmm. Like, and he says, like he says something to him. He's like, uh, "You're a right mean fucker, aren't you?" Yeah. Or something. He's like, my, <laughs> "My old man was a right fucker too." And he said, "And he's a pervert like you are too." Yeah. And he's basically like, and what I do like is the way it was shot. I know Kit Harrington's a smaller guy, and Guy Pierce. But he's towering over him, mm-hmm. like the way it was shot. But the fact that Samuel's still like, no, <laughs> yeah. like, fuck you. You're not going to do this. Well, the mistake he makes, he ends up grabbing the keys to the the bridle and tosses mm-hmm. it to Joanna so she can get it off her face. Mm-hmm. But the mistake he makes is that he then starts getting a little too close. Too damn close. 
And that's when you see... The classic failing of all horror films as we know. Yeah. That's when you see the Reverend grab his arm. I like this scene a lot. Because you can tell on Samuel's face, he's like, you should not be this strong. What the hell? He's overpowered and he knows he's about to die. Yeah. And he's pushing it toward his head and bam, it goes off and... And then you're like, well, shit. (laughs) There's the savior. Yep. Um, But... Then Joanna is able to, and when he when he drops, he drops the uh, what he like took from that shootout, which is a bag of gold. Right. And notably, on the side of the bag, it says Bismuth. It has like the mining logo on yes. it. But Joanna is able to get free and runs off. And runs off. And that's where this chapter ends. So now we, we, we should be of... very clear, though. Just we know we kind of glossed over it, but the minister does like whip her and rape her. That yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah. right. A uh, very horrific moment. Yes. It's and yeah. that threads through now all the connecting pieces from the prior two chapters. Correct. Why she's so afraid of him, what his deal is. Yes. And this is our final chapter, right? Retribution. Retribution, which yes. brings us back to post chapter one. Yes. So it is it basically goes three, two, one, four. It is Liz slash Joanna with her daughter and and, and uh, stepson. They're off in the woods. It's snowy. They're heading up into the mountains. It's shot very well. Like there's a, it's a beautiful. Yeah, there's this hazy mist obscuring yeah. everything, um, which is great for the tension because you have no idea where he might be. Right. You know. Well, also, he goes full Terminator at this point. He does. Yeah. And they hear him singing a couple times too, so yeah. they know they they're being tracked. Which and Martin Kulhoven mm-hmm. mentioned in some sort of interviews that became a thing referenced on IMDb. That this is a reference to Night of the Hunter. Yes, I got strong Night of the Hunter. Another vibes. much better film. Okay, all right. Look, <laughs> Night of the Hunter is a much better film. There's no arguing that. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah, there's definitely strong Night of the Hunter vibes. I was thinking the same thing. There's one the song. Sequence. Was it Abide with Me? I think. Yeah, it's, I think so. That's the one that continues to play through. Right. They uh, sing it in theme. the church every time, and then yeah. he's singing it at them as he's chasing them. Um. Liz, they stop, she gets out, and she tells them to go on. She has the rifle. She goes down the trail a bit, and she's just going to wait and shoot the fucker when he shows up. Right. Mm. But it's just his horse. Yep. As they continue on, though, so she they continue on down the trail. Like She's thwarted now. She didn't kill him. They continue on down the trail, and I forget what they see. What does Matthew see? It's like a frozen dead ram. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's very it's very it. foggy at this part. There's almost yeah. like no visibility. The wagon's jostled. He drops the rifle. But he goes out to check the ram and then bam. Well, he goes back to pick up the rifle. Yeah, okay. And then that's when he gets shot. Yeah, bam. He gets shot. He goes down. Screaming out. He's not dead yet. And But the whole time, Joanna's like, don't don't go out there. Don't. Yeah. Don't do that. Or Liz now. I guess she's Liz. Um, it's like, don't go out there. And he just like... Shoots him again. <laughs> he yeah, just yeah. ends up finishing him off. Eventually he's dead. Which we, we see like they're in a little clearing and then he's in the tree line and he has like a freaking scope mm-hmm. on his rifle. He does. He's treating it. I mean, he treated Matthew just like he was game, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but he doesn't close in on Liz yet. No. No. She keeps going. She gets to her father-in-law's Which in that cabin. first chapter, it's kind of out of context, but now now it makes more sense. as He makes it clear that he doesn't just want to kill her. Right. Yeah, and, he and, wants and at to, first he wants we, to make her suffer. Yeah. And, yeah. So at this point we can see this is like a much deeper grudge than yeah. just like I'm going to find you and kill when you. When he stabs Eli, he says why and she says because she loves you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all about just torturing her. And so I I think I missed who's the dude? Who's the old man? It's he's her the father of Eli. Okay. Yeah, it's her okay. father-in-law. Yeah, he was mentioned at the beginning. 
And I knew he was some relation, but I mm-hmm. missed like what exactly he was to her. Um, but yeah, they get there, and he. She, this is when she does tell someone. Yep. Yeah. What's going on? And he tries to step in and do the right thing and protect her, and she's like, "No, this is mine." I have to do this. Yeah, she's loading up a rifle, and she's sitting out front, like keeping watch. This is also a scene that reminded me of Night of the Hunter a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when she goes out on the porch. Yeah. yeah. Um, does he start singing again? Or he she, does. She, she knows he's out yeah. there. She starts shooting, and he's like, "You're not going to hit me at this range with that rifle." That was a fun scene. Yeah, because she immediately she does not fucking hesitate. No, she she fires up and launches a couple at him, but yeah. obviously, you know, she's not going to hit him. And he says something about how he he had been in the house. Yeah, you left her alone. You left her alone, and but her, her she was asleep, so she didn't see. <laughs> so Liz runs back in, and the father in law's dead. Mm-hmm. He's been stabbed in the throat, pinned to the wall. She grabs uh, her daughter, uh, starts running off. Uh, the preacher's in the house. Basically, she's trying to escape at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're trying to get out a window. He's teleporting everywhere. Well. What, okay. She's trying to get out of the window. Like they're basically they're running away from him. She gets her daughter out of the window. Now she's trying to go out of the window. He gets pushed down, and uh, some lamp oil falls on him. Right, mm-hmm. and so this is where we get a little bit of. This is another one of those trigger warning moments to let's do yes. yourself. He's got Liz tied up. Yeah. Okay, this part did bother me. Um, <laughs> and then he is whipping her daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's, and it's, obviously, it's clearly the, the buildup. He's going to rape her. He even tells Liz. To, yeah. Yeah. And again, credit to Guy Pierce for this despicable oh, character and the he, way he does it. He ends up like, I think the, the hardest part to see. And, and I even thought that too. Like, uh-huh. God, like you have to be in character. What, what's, where did he go to in his <laughs> yeah. head space to do that? Because he know? like, as he leans in on the girl, like he kind of like shudders and then kisses yeah. her face. Like really, it's so it's creepy. horrible yeah, to it's watch. Just, um, but, and this is where uh, Liz slash Joanna differs from her mom is she finds herself tied up and she sees that the only way she's going to be able to get out really is if she dislocates her arms. Mm-hmm. Um, to raise her arms over this thing. Is that yep. possible, though? Yeah. If you were, her, her hands are tied. I'll tell you what's not possible, though, is that the second she's done doing it, magically her arms are fine again. Well, that's my problem. That's, I guess that, if you, that's my problem. Once, once you've dislocated them, you have to like set them back again. Yeah, because they're going to be... We what? didn't see her actually dislocate them. There are people flexible enough that I've seen people who can put their hands behind their back and pull them over top of their head and yeah, into their front. What, what videos are showing up in your search history, pal? Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say on this scene, Tiffany the did... The ones you've sent me? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Tiffany yeah. did go like medical nurse mode and was like... Like, oh, that's not possible. That bothered me. Yeah. That, that did take me right out. What and this needed, is a bad time to be taken right out. It should have been a thing like she just like cut herself or something. It could have been anything. Or what undone. needed to happen is you needed to have some sort of a Chekhov's gun situation yeah. earlier in the film that she's hyper flexible of some sort. Mm-hmm. You know, like double jointed thing. Yeah. You, you needed something. That, that there. could have been uh, explained at the whorehouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you did need yeah. something to explain that she could do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that part bothers me. But she does, and she, I just viewed it more. Free. I viewed it more as like um, okay, whatever the whole sit things things were like the adrenaline. And, yeah, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. So she does get herself free. She grabs mm-hmm. her rifle. 
Um, and the preacher turns toward her. He's like spouting more of his bullshit, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, she lobs the lantern at him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sets him on fire. He barely even reacts. Keeps saying more of his fire and brimstone bullshit. But his interesting line, his final line, is that everyone's afraid of the flames of hell, and it's not the flames of hell that's the punishment. It's the absence of love. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I do think is a really good line. It is a good line. Um, and he delivers it so well, too. Mm-hmm. But you just, it's like the final look into his, like, really fucked up twisted mind mm-hmm. and then this is the fucking scene that took me out of it when she shoots him and he flies back out the yes. window <laughs> yeah why <laughs> why did you have to shoot him out of the window we don't, don't need a michael myers moment and also that gun won't fucking do that like i know, uh, I, know. I felt the same way i know i, I was the same i did mm-hmm. i made it through a lot of stuff and then i was like come <laughs> on guys so we didn't get another time jump and she's like the boss of this sawmill. Yeah, she's built, she's built like a sawmill out there around yes. uh, her father-in-law's cabin. She's found a community again. Her daughter is obviously adored and loved by some of the workers and stuff like that in the healthy, good way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're treating her like a daughter. Yeah. yeah. They're all looking after her. You can but, tell it's almost like a family in a way. Yeah. 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 But then who shows up? Uh, that Nathan would, from the beginning. Which when it showed up and they're focusing on him and the music's kind of building, I turned to Tiffany and then she goes, who the fuck's that guy? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I recognized him. I knew who it was, but I was yeah. like, this is, uh, this, I, whole, this whole part at the end is very ham fisted. This to me. bothered. The ending really killed this movie for me. So it's, well, it's Nathan, and he's got a posse with him. He is a, a sheriff now. He went, he, he's, he tells quickly that the sheriff, the sheriff, the, the reverend. reverend told him to go to Bismuth, where he became a deputy, then he became a sheriff. And going through the sheriff's stuff, he found old wanted poster for Elizabeth. And who's wanted because uh, she killed Frank. Yeah, and there's like this flashback where they show her knifing Frank. And like two, two seconds before she ran in to save Joanna from the Reverend, well, she killed Frank. Elizabeth did say she was going to kill him. Mm. That was always something she claimed she was going to do. But this scene really bothered me. And the funniest thing is like he has the wanted poster and it clearly has the image of Elizabeth Brundy on it. But he just goes like, well, your name's Elizabeth Brundy, and yeah. you're missing a tongue, so how many can there be? Well, also, he wants revenge on her. And it's like, she looks nothing like... But it's the it way he... It doesn't matter. The way he frames it, though, he frames it like it's all about like justice, and like now like justice well, has yeah, come for her. Yeah, because he's a self-righteous son of a bitch, but he just wants to punish her. He doesn't care if it's right or not. He ends up arresting her, mm-hmm. and he takes her off. They're on a ferry yeah. going down the river. Um, and Liz now is faced with... Does she go and meet her death mm-hmm. this way, or does she take her chances on her own? And she looks back to Sam at the shore. And she's being, I mean, she, you can tell she's cared for. Yeah. Right. Like, all of the she's, workers. She's not abandoning her child. No, all of the workers treat her like a daughter or niece or, you know, like yeah. a family member. They're all playing with her and, you know, mm-hmm. being very nurturing. And so she just smiles and kind of falls back off the ferry and floats down into the water. She's chained. She's shackled like hands in. Yeah. There's no way to survive. They're even shooting at her and stuff. Um, and you don't see her drown, but then we get a narration. Yep. It time skips again. We see an odor, Sam. Yeah. Well, we get this narration while she's drowning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the time skip. We see an older Sam. She's got a child now. And she basically, in her narration, is saying, you know, that she was a strong woman. She was a fighter. And I always wonder if she's still looking out for me. Mm-hmm. 
And then she like looks off into the woods as if her mom somehow fucking survived it. I don't. No, know. I did, that's not the impression I got at all. I thought that was more of like an ominous. Like he's still out there. Like no. the reverend's mm-hmm. out there. Oh, I didn't get that. I got a much more ominous. The whole. I took it that way. Well, honestly, I was pissed at this point of the movie. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> okay, well, we wrapped it up. We wrapped up the plot. I was pissed here because I think you told a really. I think they told an interesting story. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a pleasant story. But it was interesting, and I think it's a story about abuse and trauma. Mm. Which we already know from the Nightingale, which we've covered, you can do that and do it well. And even with all of the like reprehensible things that's depicted there, it's a meaningful film. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no need for the last scene. There's no need for the, you should have changed, you didn't even change your name. Yeah. there. I didn't see any need for that. I just felt like it was abnormally cruel. As a story device. I didn't like it because I was trying to think about like the themes and like the message of this film. And I think when you take that into account, it left me with a weird feeling about the movie. I didn't. I felt like that we could have had. And I know that it's not maybe it wasn't the writer's intention, but I think you could have had a survivor story. That could have been a little more meaningful than what was then ended with. No, I can see that. The ending didn't bother me particularly because I kind of like those kind of dark endings. Yeah, you sick fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can see your point. I can see. I, I just didn't feel that that last scene really took me out of it because I just didn't feel it was necessary. And I also really didn't like the flashback where she's like, "Oh my god, she killed Frank and mm-hmm. then came in and helped me." Like mm-hmm. that really pissed me off. Like it was yeah. too coincidental. It was too much to throw in that late. In the movie. It didn't bother me. To me, Liz's story was done. Like, <laughs> she did what she was supposed to do in her story. and I. But I guess, I don't know. I guess it's still her former life coming. But it's, but it's also like almost punishing her for a, quote, oh, shit. Uh, you quote, did it this time. sinful life. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Yeah. So let me thread some stuff I've set up. Across our discussion on this. Go for it. This this is the heart of my anger at this film. Yes. Would you guys say that this is like a, the message of this film, the concept of it, would you say it's like, you know, pro-feminist? It's empowering to women all. This is maybe not a conversation we should even have because we're probably not the right people to talk about this, but. I didn't think it was empowering at all. Mm -hmm. I think it does a good job of showing how women can be treated Mm -hmm. and how horrible it is and how men can get away with it. And sometimes that in itself, just showing that and showing how horrible it is, can be feminist because it's it's you know it, showing it showing happens. showing very real issues that right. existed then that still exist and still now. exist in a lot of places. So I think that is true, but I think when you look at the messaging of this film and like where it goes in the plot, so obviously Joanna is like circumstance to her environment. You know, she was in unfortunately the daughter of this reverend. She escapes that to then be at the whorehouse at the, at the mercy of Frank and everything that he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, so it's in that moment where those parts kind of clash together and she decides to cut out her tongue. As, as I set up before, she quote unquote loses her voice. She's no longer physically able to speak. Maybe she can, Michael, I don't know, but she chooses not to. That consequently in that first chapter creates a lot of problems because she never vocalizes anything to Eli or anyone else that can kind of like narrate what's going on. You're right, there may be these things where, like, societally, they're not going to believe her no matter what. 
to me, it seems like Eli was a good guy. And like from the start, if she had shown up and been like, Hey, I'm not Liz, but here's this story. And I just want a decent life. I feel like he would have still stayed with her. I don't think there would have been any weirdness with that. Well, but the thing is, is that she's never able to like vocalize this issue with the Reverend. And it leads to everyone in the film, like being turned against her along the way, which like furthers the problem. And I almost had this thought, like, when it first happened in that second chapter, and they kind of bring up that she's wanting to cut her tongue out, and then the doctor can't do it, I thought, well, like, okay, she's going to, like, pretend that she can't talk and just pretend to be mute. And I thought it was going to build this thing where, like, in the final chapter, when it all loops back around, there'll be this triumphant moment where she, like, speaks and actually vocalizes again and, like, speaks up against the reverend. You get a final, like, gun cocks. Right. Fuck you. (laughs) Um, flies out the window on fire <laughs> and it doesn't even have to be like that like pulpy you know but um, but instead no she does remove her tongue she never has her voice she never gets a chance to say anything or respond and she never speaks up for anything like even when Nathan comes to her she never tries to like explain or fight against that she just gives herself over to like the inevitability of the situation so in a lot of ways like I think whether it was the intention or not to me it felt like the message of the film that was like this time in this place was like a world where women couldn't exist in any way where they're free unless it was like underneath the control of a man and the only escape is to just die. You also have to look at the fact that we're comparing this to Nightingale, which was written and directed by a woman. And it and was, this was better written and, written and executed. And this was written and directed by a man. Well, I'm not going to so. argue that Nightingale is a better movie than this. But I'm like, not going to argue that at all. And then to me, like, uh, I guess then the push... Two different voices there. The you push know, like, to defend that is then to say, well, like, the West was like this. And it's like... Yes, it was true, but then also we have these people like, you know, there's like Annie Oakley, Calamity Jane. There are these like famous women sure. of the West that were very independent. Very but by and large, most women weren't like that. But right. to address your issues, I I propose that perhaps her muteness was also a psychological effect. Not only could she not really form words very well, but it's also possible that all the trauma she went through, everything she had to do, Perhaps it's just, you know, psychological. And if it if it was, then that's still like my point is like if there was that triumphant moment where she finally speaks again. Well, she's not going to say much. But that's like a bigger <laughs> payoff to me in a way to the meaning of like if this film is like feminist in a way where it's like showing these things. And it is like the conclusion at the end is Sam says, like, my mother was a strong woman. And I'm like, she says that. But the from what the film has shown us, I don't know. Other than the fact that she endured all these things, I don't feel like the film told us that. Sometimes just I enduring felt, his strength. I felt like the film, like all it said was like, well, this is shit. She's in a shitty situation. Uh, she runs a lot. She never really does too much to fight back about it or to speak out against things. Mm-hmm. And then she dies. Well, to answer your second point about why didn't she tell this stuff to Eli, victims of trauma don't always want to share everything. They want to leave all that behind. You know, they they don't mm-hmm. know if they're going to be accepted. If she told Eli all this... But she immediately knows when the Reverend shows up what's going to happen. But what is she going to say? Well, really, what is she going to say? <laughs> this is my father who I thought I killed who raped me? Yeah. I think one of my issues with the movie, and I've talked to you about this before, Jason, with certain horror films that I don't care for that much, like I've watched them but I don't want to watch them again, is when things are just mean Mm-hmm. Like when it's a mean spirited mm-hmm. film, this was mean to me. Like it was realistic, but I also felt like it was just mean. I, a- I don't, I, 
I could see that. Oh. But to me personally, I don't think it was mean in that way. It's showing horrible things, no doubt. But I don't think it's. I mean, it is a bit of an exploitation film. Mm-hmm. It's an exploitation film dressed up as a respectable drama. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, because I don't. I, I guess I tend to not really care for. I I like the bleak stuff, mm. but I tend to not care when the. I tend to don't like it when there's not. I don't know. Like you almost want, you're yearning for that like moment where she gets to rise up mm-hmm. and like take over. <laughs> Jason's like, eh, fuck that shit. Well, see, like, I don't, burn it all down. I don't mind a mean spirited film as long as there is like a sense of payoff in the end. And it doesn't have to be a triumphant payoff. It just has to be like a payoff that to me felt meaningful. And I think for me, it, if it wasn't for that last scene, mm-hmm. this movie would have been very different for me. If it wasn't for that last moment. Okay. I could see that. And I'm not, because I'm not sure that was needed. I, you know, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. Like, it could have gone both ways, and I'm fine with it. But I'm also... What would have been people, better? People, people might call me pessimistic, but I'm pragmatic. And <laughs> I, I, I could see that happening, you know, because life sucks. Shitty things happen. Right. Mm-hmm. But and, what I think probably would have fit the narrative better was had you, instead of, like you guys said, with um, Sam looking over her shoulder thinking the reverend's still out there Mm -hmm. i think it would have probably been more fitting with the narrative to have liz always wondering like Mm. that she's raising her daughter now oh yeah yeah but she's always wondering is he is he still out there and that kind of carries through that same theme of trauma Mm -hmm. and ptsd Sure, but that could also be... I mean, let's not forget that Sam, as a little girl, was traumatized. She was, yeah. So she's still... Fl- I mean, this... But yeah, this it, isn't it, Sam's it, story. It's how right. abuse is... Yeah, but still, it's passed right. on from generation to generation right. a lot of times, you know. So but I don't think the film's trying to make that point so much. I mean, that, I kind of took that away from it. Well, I think you're wrong. For, for like a, <laughs> like a two-second scene that they tag on at the last minute. Also, the whole thing... and. Okay, here's here's the crux of this movie for me. It's the only way this movie works for me. Are you going to talk about the fan theory that's supposed to explain this movie better that I have a lot of problems with? We'll get back to that in a second. Okay. But Jason, did you know that everyone on Exegol um, <laughs> were... <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Was that in the movie? No, it's in the novelization. Okay, wait, maybe we need to talk about this fan theory, <laughs> okay. as you put it, that we need to talk I about. Didn't, I'm not I sure thought you I were joking. No, I didn't know there's... Oh. Um, it was on the IMDb and it was mixed in with all the stuff that was like just talking up Coolhoven is how awesome he is. So it might be something that he himself wrote on there. I'm sorry to this guy that I'm just fucking ragging on you. <laughs> As if he's going to listen and be like, oh, these three guys in Kentucky hate me. <laughs> um, no, but it talked about the Reverend and they're like, notably, if you really pay attention, you will notice in chapters one and chapters four, his eyes are more dark, almost a black. But in chapters two and chapters three, his eyes are a lighter color. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's possessed? And that might suggest that he died in the fire of the inferno. He is dead, and that in the later chapters, he's just a demon that's pursuing. He her. is. That's no. that's the only way this movie works. It's high plains drifter. Nothing in this film gives you any kind of evidence or crux to back that up. She fucking slices his throat open. He looks dead. At no other point do they give us any hint of anything supernatural going on in this film. This is this Does is where need, I said this is like. Does there need to be anything else supernatural going on? I'm kind of sitting here in shock <laughs> that you act that that Jason, this was in your mind because I'm like, 
I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is okay. a bullshit excuse. He's dead. He's so, obviously dead. He's supposed to be dead. He's Michael, a- not to bully you. This is this this to me is hold the dark again where it's like, oh well there's the two wolf spirits in Norse mythology, and obviously that's what it is. <laughs> no, it's not in the film. There's no it's in basis the film. For it. it is completely in the film. Okay, okay. I'm not sure how I feel. <laughs> I think I feel dumb right now no, that I haven't feel, seen don't feel something. Dumb. Don't feel dumb. Okay. And they the experts <clears throat> that put this on IMDb say that you know that that's what it is because in his sermons, he's talking about being to hell. And so clearly he's a demon or brought back from the dead. Because, there was also the line that Jesus said after he was yeah. risen from the ground. Um, my thing is that any fire and brimstone preacher all say that same shit all the time, always. And that's nothing yeah, special. I mean, that's, okay. yeah, I agree with you and say, that's the only way this movie works. We see her slash his throat. He is bleeding profusely. He falls down. He is not moving. She moves his body over by the bed, still motionless, sets the bed on fire. Presumably it spreads and probably burns the whole place down, or at least half of it. He looks dead to me. I have no problem accepting that he died in that moment. And then when he's... It's he, yeah, he's a demon. He's a spirit. No, here's my issue with that though. It's the only way it works because when he's tracking her in that last chapter, out in the woods in the snow, it you talk about him teleporting. Mm-hmm. That fits. How is he going to survive out there in the snow, even you know without his horse? But that can just around? be poor editing. Or he's fucking dead. He's a demon. He's a spirit. If That's he, why he doesn't even react when he's on fire. If he had like poofed into smoke after she killed him or something, or like when she shot him out the window, she looked out the window and he like. That's why Sam. He's still like, there. Rrr. He's still out there. That almost know? makes me more mad though. If I think of it that way, because it negates her trauma. It does, and I also feel like that makes a weird messaging about like the religious. How does it negate trauma? It negates the trauma that now she's being sought by a vengeful demon the or like same mm-hmm. the daughter no no it, it negates Liz. liz's trauma yeah. that basically that all the trauma that's been inflicted on her i think if you take the supernatural route that's not really been talked about or present within the film i feel like it negates everything that let's say real reverend mm-hmm. a live reverend did to her you know like just because now it's become a supernatural thing and he's coming back from the dead. I, to me, I that, think it's a metaphor for trauma. I think it's a metaphor for the. I don't think this film's classy enough to make that kind of metaphor. Let's call not, this dude. Let's get him on Skype. <laughs> what did you mean? I'm not saying this movie is a classic. I'm not. I'm not saying it's even a very good movie. But I. I see these themes. This is. That's what I'm. I'm getting from the movie. Um. Yeah. It's just. It. To me, it, it is that trauma. It's how it lives. He's that dark spirit that. Just it won't go away no matter what you do. Because sometimes you're not going to get over your trauma. Sometimes life is horrible. And yeah, the only way out is to die. But this isn't the Babadook. He's clearly there and other people see him. Other people interact with him. He's a freaking demon. He's a ghost. He's a spirit. He walks in the church just fine. He doesn't catch on fire from walking in the I church. Think God's not real. What's he going to do? He's going <laughs> to stop him? Okay, so God's not real, but a demon is real. Yeah. I think this might hit the... Well, God doesn't care. I think this might hit my hold the dark moment. Where I would say... <laughs> it's the only way the movie works. I would say that that is fine. If that's what makes the movie work for you. Look at High Plains Drifter. There's a supernatural element there without any other supernatural things happening. It doesn't have to be in a world of ghosts and spirits. It feels more implied there, though. 
just in the way I mean, it's, it's presented. It's pretty obvious, I think. But I, I think if that, I won't say that I won't say that anybody's wrong or anybody's right about. I it. will. <laughs> I won't say that. I'm any- pretty <laughs> sure. I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be dead. But I. But I will say, if that does make the movie work for you, then it does. That's what made Hold the Dark work for me. Mm-hmm. So I think more than any other movie we've covered, I desperately want people to write in. If you have seen this movie. And oh yeah! Tell, please tell us what you please. think. <laughs> if you hate it, if you love it, if you don't give a shit, let us. Is know. he Schrodinger's reverend? <laughs> Is he dead and not dead at the same time? It's, I, o- it's only when the observer takes note of the reverend. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess when you present those things, if you were trying to convince me of that argument, I could say like, okay, I think there's enough evidence in the movie to support that hypothesis. Well, I. If I've learned anything, I can reject any evidence that's presented to me, that's, whether it's sound or scientific or not, and I can say it's what I want to do. So, <laughs> no, I don't. When I'd have you, to. When did you become a Republican? <laughs> don't you even say that out loud. Um, I would have to, with that in mind, I'd probably have to go back and rewatch this movie again, mm-hmm. like with those thoughts. You're not going to do that. But I really don't want to do that. <laughs> so I'm just going to say. Go with your theory, Jason. <laughs> Whatever lets you sleep. I'm not night, I sure that I, I, think, I think the movie supports it. I'm not sure that I buy that theory, but I don't want to go back and rewatch it to try to prove your theory. So you win. Okay. <laughs> you right. win by sheer uh, laziness. La- no, not laziness. <laughs> Unwillingness just, to watch the movie again. Maybe if I didn't have to watch it on Tubi though, and it like adds. Well, I watched it on Showtime, so I did it was, watch it. It was a brisk two and a half hours. <laughs> It was more like three hours for me. I think it was for me, yeah. too. Now, you know, I do have a legitimate question. I wonder if that affects the way you feel about a movie with the ads and shit. It has to affect I it in some way. didn't really mind the ads, actually, because it was a break from the film. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, no, I'm serious. I think that's a legitimate question. You know what, though? Props to Tubi. The way they... I know they don't plan their commercial breaks, but just the way it happened to like hit with this film. Was it in between the chapters? I would say <laughs> three-fourths of the breaks were during Fade to Blacks. Okay. And it would ju- it just felt normal. Maybe there's just a lot of Fade to Blacks in this movie. <laughs> well, there are, because I actually have a note about that, is that the chapter breaks and some of the other fades, they were shorter originally, and someone on the production staff suggested that they'd add a few seconds to each of those. That was a good idea. Uh, especially in the chapter breaks, because they said there needs to be a time for people to stop and breathe for a second right? before you go into the next thing. Plus, it also subconsciously tells you this is a different mm-hmm. part of the story, so... So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is. That was a good call on that on their part. Uh, some other fun facts I have. Um, this was the second most expensive Dutch film made at the time after Black Book from 2006. What the fuck is Black Book? I've never seen it. Don't know anything about it. Karis Van Houten was in both. Oh, cool. Uh, Brimstone dropped to third in 2020 when The Forgotten Battle became the second most expensive film. I forgot about that one. I also don't know that film. Um, we should talk about critical reception on this film because I think that's interesting. When it debuted in film festivals, especially in Europe, it got mostly just praise, and a lot of journalists really, you know, mm-hmm. talked it up, and it was a big deal. It got a really great critical Europeans reception. Europeans love dark shit. <laughs> um, it came to America in the states and played at festivals, and there was a lot of criticism from mainstream critics. Shocking. A lot of more negative feedback and reception. But what surprised me was was all on the basis of like morality and moral grounds, which we've gone over this countless times. This whole like puritanical. The movie, the movie is not endorsing mm-hmm. the actions of the Reverend. If you're watching this movie and you're siding with him, if you're titillated by <laughs> you, this you movie, you've got a problem. You've got problems. Yeah, this movie is not trying to titillate. No, you. 
This movie should make you feel um, terrible. <laughs> this isn't some Nazi exploitation. And it shocked me because with so much low-hanging fruit, I'm surprised that they just went with morality. Well, that's America. All the violence is fine, but the morality. Um, but overall, if you kind of like aggregate everything, the one thing that shines through is that whether people hated it or not, they kind of all agree the acting's really great. Acting's great. I, I get shot really well. I do well. think that's it's worth a good looking up. movie. I'm just very conflicted on this. This is the only movie I think that we've ever watched that I'm just truly conflicted. I think on. we're all in different places on this movie. Yeah, I'm. I'm in purgatory with this movie. <laughs> and to cycle back to it on the genre, I don't think the fact that it's in the old west really. Like you could set this somewhere else. I think you you questioned that, Michael. I think you could. I you, don't know. I think. Yeah, I have to go with Michael on this one. I think any you, any rural place anywhere in the world. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't go that far. I think there has to be like the remoteness to it. There has to be that lack of technology, uh, the fervent Christian beliefs that most people have. You know, they tell us when this time. It's basically nineteen. Turn of the century. It's like mm-hmm. 1901, I think. It's just the, the latter days well, of the Well, it's been some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some, it's probably like 1890s and 1900s. I don't know. I, yeah, I think it would be quite... Again, you'd have to... I think to see if that would truly work, you'd have to like set this movie in somewhere else and then mm-hmm. I'd have to watch it again and I don't want to do that. And it, it, does, <laughs> it does play with some of those Western tropes, too. Like you think Kit Harrington's going to be the heroic cowboy. Yeah. I mean, I didn't soft. think that when he came in like three-fourths of the way through the film. I think a lot of people would think <laughs> I think that. I was fine. When he finally showed up, I was like, there's Jon Snow. You've got yeah. the whole whorehouse thing, you know, that old Western trope. I'm glad that Robert Pattinson didn't yeah. play this, though, because I don't think I could see him... I don't think that's an appropriate character for him. After you've seen The Lighthouse and movies like no, no, that? No, no, no. I think he's above that character. Like, yeah. I I think that the dialogue that he had, maybe Pattinson would have done something different with it. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, but I, it felt more right for Kit Harington in a way. Probably because he played Jon Snow and he's supposed to be kind of heroic. Man, I, I of, man it, of honor. I think it know? did subvert a little bit. You yeah. know, like you're expecting him to be a badass and he's not. He's promptly, swiftly killed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was very Games of Throny. Really I, I do think that the earliest... Can you say that again? Games of Throny. Thank you. <laughs> that earliest chapter is the strongest to me, and I almost wish that was just a film to itself. And we had more time with Samuel and Joanna, and maybe even more time with the Reverend to get more of like... I'm not going to argue this movie isn't bloated. It undersells him in a way, because it's like, we get it, he's like the the fervent crazy zealot. But even if there was just a little more time spent on like how he gets to that point, almost like I don't know, I would care more to see that than this weird bloated mess that they've made. Okay. Well, I think we've all pretty much made our opinions of the film known. Let's wrap it up. But let's let's for final thoughts. Final thoughts. Let's yep. go with finals. Michael, I'm really conflicted on this because I didn't hate the movie at all. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I actually did like a good portion of it, and I think I. I think it probably would have sat a lot better with me were it not for that final scene, mm-hmm. just because that didn't work for me. Okay, I see how it can't. I see how it does work for mm-hmm. people. It just for me it didn't. So I think I'm gonna land on like a two and a half. Okay, I'm really not upset that I watched it because I think that it does tackle a lot of issues that uh, people don't have the balls to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and I don't think it. I don't think it cheapens those things too, which I think is really important. I don't think it glosses over them. It really hits hard in the places that it should. Um, superbly acted. Like this is, I think this is a 
pretty fucking fantastic guy Pierce. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Um man. performance. Everybody in it's really really good. Mm-hmm. I just don't think I want to watch it again. Like <laughs> but not and not just because I didn't like it, just because I don't want to go back there. Sure. Like, right. No. I've seen it. It's like how many times do you need to watch Cannibal Holocaust, yeah. you know? I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what's that uh basically every time it's on a new medium just to see how it's restored better right. that's about it yeah. so yeah i think two and a half for me but okay. an average film then. if you were the type of person if if you were a listener that if you're a dark sicko if you were a listener that <laughs> god i hope some of you are that chooses things that you watch based on like art like a differing opinions of them like if you think like oh michael likes it so i'm maybe, not gonna watch it maybe I should take- <laughs> <laughs> um I will say be careful with this one in your psyche and your mental state. Yeah. I mean, if this sort of thing bothers you at the least, don't watch this movie. Just yeah. Don't do that to yourself. It's not worth it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Performances aside. So I, I would say this one, two and a half, but be careful. Okay. I guess I'll go next because we know I'm coming. I think mine will be more positive. I'm coming in hot. And I, think, I, I, I think... saw your letterbox review already. <laughs> that, that text message was so funny earlier. <laughs> when Jason just messages our group and he's like, well, Dustin rated it on Letterboxd. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, maybe I should wait to do those till after we record the episode. Um, another thing I want to bring up, because it, it just came to me. I forgot to put it in my notes. Uh, there was talk when this came out. Again, on IMDb, it seemed to be from the director. So I don't know if this was from an interview or what. Um, but they talked about how this was like a great send-up of like the spaghetti western of old. And that in... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, among like Dutch films, they refer to it as like, it was a Dutch word, so I can't remember it, but it was like a mashed potatoes Western because it was like their version of a spaghetti Western. I just want to say there is nothing about this film in any way, shape, or form that is like a spaghetti Western, and that is fucking ridiculous to even suggest that. I mean, I agree with that. I'm not getting a spaghetti Western (laughs) at all. Um, I don't know who said that. I don't know if that was the director, but no, it's not. (laughs) That's just blatantly you're wrong. Just want to throw that in there. Um, I did not like this film. It's well acted. What? <laughs> I'm so shocked. It's, <gasps> I'm clutching my pearls. There's good, there's good visuals. Uh-huh. There's good ideas here. But I think in the totality of what it is, it's terribly bloated. For the runtime it has and to be so bloated, I don't think they spend it on the right things. Like that second chapter with uh, the Inferno, that chapter is so long. I didn't time each part, but I feel like that's maybe the longest chapter and it probably shouldn't have been, but it is. And then, like I said, I, I've already got into it with you guys, but it's like everything about the conclusions of where this film goes, and it's like its themes and its messages and its ideas. I like a dark film, and I'm fine with something that's mean-spirited as long as there is like a payoff in the end, and it doesn't have to be a triumphant or like the heroes win. I'm fine with like a downer ending, but I don't know, man. It's like it bothered me a lot in this film because I felt like it wanted to be like, yes, she was a strong woman, but I'm like, really, the film, like, uh, I hate to just say, like, this film was misogynistic, but that's kind of where I feel in the end when I think back on it now. And I, it's because of how they've structured the plot. Like, there's other ways you could have, like, morphed this thing to go in a different direction with it. But the way it is, I just very much don't like it. So, uh, one star, fuck this film. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. I'd like for that to be Dustin's what he says for every one star. <laughs> star, fuck this film. star, fuck this film. Oh, and I hate it. I mean, if you enjoyed it and if you liked it, that's cool and that's fine. Everyone, you know, thinks different, processes things different, finds different things that they appreciate or dislike about a film. And for me, this film and the choices they've made in its execution, 
very much repulsed me. One star. Fuck this film. <laughs> so, okay. so I don't one star it lightly, I should say. No, no, there no, there no, is okay. thought behind this. Sure. Um, as far as the misogyny thing goes, I don't get that. I don't think, I don't think the movie is misogynistic. I think it portrays misogyny. I guess to me, I would say to clarify, I think it's, this film is clumsily told the story and that they want it to be like a indictment of misogyny, but in a lot of ways it kind of, kind of does that clumsily. I think. Do you feel like this would work better as a play? (laughs) No, no. Is that a serious question? (laughs) (laughs) It was, but it's not anymore. <laughs> no, continue, continue your thought. I'm sorry. That was horribly, horribly mean of me. I don't know. I just kind of wonder if this would work. Never mind. Just go on with your thing. I don't have anything to defend that anymore. Please continue, Jason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm okay. just going to stay over here. Again, this was a blind pick by me, which I may not be doing in the future. Well, it's good to experiment and try new things. I agree. I enjoyed it. I like picking something none of us have seen sometimes. I, no, I mean, I didn't, I'm not going to say I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the uh, the blind pick aspect to where everybody's like, yeah. uh-oh. I, I, <laughs> I could see all your complaints and I share some of them. Mm-hmm. However, I do think at the end of the day, I think it's a good movie. It is not a great movie. Um, it doesn't need to be two and a half hour, hours long. However, I never, was never really very bored. I was always pretty interested in what was going on. Um. The performances, like you said, are great. It's a good-looking movie. I wish that she hadn't cut her tongue out because I want there to be more dialogue with Dakota Fanning. Yes. Because the part, the second chapter, which was too long to me, hearing her like talk and interact with people, yeah, very well done. But I think also being deprived of her voice, I thought she was very good at acting then too. Mm. You know. Um, my final thoughts on this movie, I think it really could have been a lot better. Um, because it was really irritating me at the end. Mm-hmm. Because the way she does her arm thing, that was really fucking annoying. Because I think her arms would be useless if that really happened. Right. There's like a million ways you could shoot yeah. that. And I'm like, why are you trying to escape this house? Why don't you just like hold up in a corner with her rifle and shoot the fucker? But mm-hmm. then once I'm like, oh, because he's dead, it won't do any good. Allegedly. Um, I, that's my takeaway. <laughs> I think the movie supports it. The evidence is there. Um. I liked it a little bit better after I accepted that fact. Um, I would give it... Oh man. I'd give it three and a half stars. Wow. Ah. Yeah. Ballsy. Okay, well, I'm sending this movie to, to Purgatory for now. Like, we're done with it. <laughs> so, we have one more. We have one more. In, one more our, Western. Western, in yeah. our Western block. And then we will get to another um, listener episode. Listener episode. Now, something that I'm looking forward to, because I think we're going to have three very different yes. Westerns here. And so. listen, I'm in a rock and a hard place, because I shit on Silverado. I shit on Brimstone. Whatever I bring, you guys are just predisposed. No, because hate. I don't bring my, you know... So, I, so I've, like I've constructed a conundrum for the two of you. Oh, are we giving us a choice? Yes, where it's going to be hard for you to want to hate this film. Uh-huh. Because it stars a favorite of the podcast, Franco Nero. I knew you were going to bring it, Franco Nero. And the obvious answer was to do Django, because neither of you have seen it. But that's such that's like you know top-level spaghetti western film. So I didn't want to do that one, because it's been so covered, and so many other people that are probably more eloquent than us have talked about it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so I had to go that next layer lower, you know. So what I have picked for our final film is from 1976, directed by Enzo G. Castellari, and it is Kioma. 
It was one of the waning Twilight era spaghetti westerns. It gets a little into like the acid western vibe. Mm. And I wanted to get to that at some point. So okay, we'll see. I don't think I'm familiar with this one. Interesting. Uh, it's kind of a deeper cut. A lot of people that are really into spaghetti westerns talk it up a lot, but... I mean, you've seen it. I've seen it. I love it. It's got some weird particulars to it that I wonder how they'll land for you guys. Okay. I guess there's, we'll find there's out. There's a bit of a, a musical aspect to the film. It's not a musical, but there are. Uh, it's got the whole like title song theme vibe going on. Okay. Well, that sounds very spaghetti western-y. Mm-hmm. And how can I watch it? So, it is on Tubi for sure. Okay. It's got a Blu-ray that was restored by Arrow, so I think it's on the Arrow player. Hmm. So those are your avenues. It might be on other stuff, too. It seems to be pretty spread out. Should be easy to track down. All right. Well, this has certainly been an interesting episode. Oh, my God. (laughs) Please write in if you've seen this film and let us know what you think. Yeah, we really want to know. Please join the discussion. And there are no wrong answers. Um, Yeah, so until next time, continue, please, tweeting, writing, sending messages, whatever... That voodoo is that you do. Please do it. Yes. Um, Until next time, you've been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening